everyone and welcome to the podcast tonight we're going to talk about soulmates um next year we're doing um three challenges as usual on rough trade and the first one's going to be about soulmates so i thought it'd be a good time to talk about it because at this point if you're not ready for november you're either a pantser and you don't need to get ready or you're not in a position for me to complicate your process so <laughs> we're gonna go we're gonna head to april because I have in the past ruined people having conversations about upcoming challenges too late in the game. So, you know, or ruined their idea or, or ruined their plans or actually stumbled across and actually plotted part of their idea <laughs> by accident. So we're going to skip ahead to soulmates for, for April's challenge. And then we're going to do paranormal or urban fantasy in July. And then of course, time travel in November. So next year it's all about the tropes that we love and soulmates is first. And we do love soulmates. I, you know, so I like reading soulmates way more than I like writing it. I, I would have said, but you pointed out before we actually started recording that I tend to write the Sentinel as a very soulmate ish kind of way. Um, because I do. That is the way I kind of I prefer to do my Sentinel world building. Is and characters are sort of a you're it for me kind of thing. Definitely, next year is the year of soothing ourselves. You know, definitely. We need to actually, we need to actually um, call it that since we've had the year of the Sentinel. The year of soothing ourselves. It's just it's just been it's been a dumpster fire. So I'm I'm looking forward to hopefully having a better year next year. Um, my favorite soulmate device. Um, I kind of like the idea of made for each other. Like literally from the moment of their their soul being created, they were made for each other. Yeah, there's a lot of the typical soulmate tropes. I like made for each other too, but a lot of the typical soulmate tropes I. I don't think I'd work with them. Like I, I know Red String is very popular. I don't particularly care for that over much. I'll certainly read it, but I, I wouldn't write it. I don't like the ticking clock. I don't like... I, I can kind of deal with the names. I've written the name thing. I can kind of deal with the name thing. But it feels like, um, realistically, if you lived in a soulmate world where your name, your soulmate's name, you were born with your soulmate's name on your wrist, or when they were born, it appeared on your wrist. It seems like people would have really outlandish names. It's like your parents would try to set you up for success by naming you, you know, Bob Woodwood or something like that. Just something just bizarre. So names would get really, really weird really, really quickly. Right. It's like because I mean, I think that'd be more realistic than what you see. It, it's like if you've got names on your wrist and you've got the name John, right? I mean, it it it's, it, it for me it challenges suspension of disbelief a little bit because how many men are named John on the planet? You know, and if your soulmate's name is Sue, you're screwed. John and Sue are never going to meet. Or they always meet. So, um, mm. I think that tip realistically, parents would, you know, you'd have outlandish names. Um, and then I, I, I kind of like the first, the first thing your soulmate says to you is what appears on your um, arm. But I can read that more than I can write it because it challenges my whole idea of free will. Like, you have no choice about this moment in your life when you're going to say, oh, my God, I can't believe what an asshole you are. Um, 
son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> then they both look down. Right? <laughs> it's like, oh, you're 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 mine and I'm yours. And I've I've you know, you know, it's just it's like that <laughs> word on Twitter where their their words on their arm were like, oh man, I can't believe Dumbledore died. So they got spoiled for a book that hadn't even been written yet. <laughs> Where to? Your soulmate is a taxi driver. Right. But um, the worst thing I ever read, which was beautiful. Let me rephrase that. The worst concept I ever let myself read was your soulmate has the last words you'll ever hear. Uh, ever said. Uh, no. On your wrist. So the last words your soulmate says to you are on your wrist. And on Thorin's wrist were the words, the eagles are coming. No, no, no. <laughs> And I was like, you bastard, you bastard. I read it anyway. I did. I, I read it anyway. It was beautiful, but I read it. Oh, God. I, no. God, it, God. See, it's, this is one of those things when it comes to soulmates, I will read lots of soulmate devices that I wouldn't write just because I can read it, suspend my disbelief better as a reader than I can as a writer. Um, as a writer, my favorite soul mark device is the first time you're in proximity or the first time you touch your soulmate your mark appears that's my favorite um i'm willing to do proximity over touch because sometimes it you know it could actually people might avoid touch if touch is what trips it off but um another one is just that you have a, a mark that's unique you know as opposed to a name that your mark is somehow different you know because i think it's a lot easier to to match up a very unique mark than it is to say oh i'm looking for a john are there any johns here <laughs> it's like 10 10 dudes raise their hand well, i I'm, I'm john but i'm only looking for meredith and you're a dude wouldn't that be terrible if john walked around with meredith like a lot like say just picture john shepherd is just as gay as he possibly could possibly be and he walks around with most of his life with the name meredith on his arm like his, his clearly in his mind his soulmate is female right and he just can't fucking figure out how that could have possibly happened right but the other side that it, 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 that is is terrible because in a world like that what if you are born to deeply homophobic parents and you're a boy and on your arm is the name Robert? Yeah. Although I would imagine that in a soulmate world where same-sex pairings are common, that there wouldn't be a ton of homophobia. There could be some, but it wouldn't be like it has been in, in, and that's one of the things that's a little bit of a struggle for me in sometimes when I've read soulmate AUs is people um, put like contemporary values and morals and stuff into the soulmate AU. <clears throat> it's a little bit of a stretch to think, because at some point somebody important in history would have had to have had a dude's name on his wrist. What I would say is that human, it is human nature to, to hate not as an individual, but as a species. And you give a reason for a human to hate, and they will. I know that's pessimistic, but it goes back to that thing. I This is kind of political, but it's not. It's about um, if you give a poor white man a reason to hate somebody, to make them feel better about themselves, they will. And it was about fostering um, racism in the South. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. I just think that if the world has always had some percentage of same-sex pairings, um, the world always has had. It's hard. It's hard for me to imagine that there would be the deeply entrenched homophobia that we have in in this society for so that we've always had a certain percentage of homosexual couples and there have been times but, in history when it was perfectly acceptable right but you didn't have the name of your partner on your wrist you could pretend you could and, it, and, and, and even in some cultures where it was perfectly acceptable it wasn't necessarily perfectly acceptable to settle down and marry it was okay to you know bang your buddies on the training grounds but you didn't necessarily marry them and settle down and have kids what I also would see in a group like this or a, a situation like this where soulmates have always existed would be a, um, a an anti-soulmate movement. Yeah. I do. I agree with you that there is a, a tendency to hate. So, like, I wrote, I uh, plotted, not wrote, I pl- plotted a story around soul marks. And um, there was a huge, there were some people who didn't have soul marks. And there was a huge bias against people who didn't have them. Um but I could see some religious groups saying that soulmate marks are the mark of the devil. I could, but I think they'd be fringe. I don't and think they would, it would have be the, your good Christian duty. It would be your good Christian duty to ignore it. But I don't think they would have ever gotten the traction that like the Christian church got in our world and in, in this, you know, in reality, because how do you convince a bunch of people who have soulmates that it's their good Christian duty to ignore their soul marks? I guess the same way you convince people who think they're good to to run furnaces in Germany during World War II. Yeah, yeah but I mean, that it's, it's hard to get people to act against their own self-interest. So I think I could see fringe groups coming up that manage to c- convince or persuade people. I just don't think it would have the millions and millions and millions of people behind it that you've got, like, in the United States. True. I think that if it's like everybody has a soulmate, but if soulmates are kind of rare, that's where it gets kind of weird. Yeah, you definitely like the have ticking an issue. clock. I wouldn't because I don't, I don't like the angst thing. I, write I mean, I wouldn't write rare. any of it, but I can see all of it happening because people are terrible. <laughs> well, people are terrible, but I mean, but you could write you could write hate and obnoxiousness into anything. I just wouldn't choose to. No. So. Um, I wouldn't I either. Just, and I, I makes a very good point about how Christian um, um, Christianity made people think that sexual desire was um, because of our corrupt nature. Yeah, I just don't think Christianity would have gotten off in the same way if you had a vast majority of people who had soulmate soul marks. I just it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I guess it would also depend when the soul mark started happening. Like, was it happening in the cave, or was it something that happened later? And what was the was that word impetus for it mm-hmm. like where did it come from like with that story that i started in the mcu that i couldn't finish because i because i started to hate captain america um with your heart on your sleeve uh soulmate mark started to emerge because of thor's hammer that he broke um magic when odin tossed the hammer to earth he broke magic that was keeping soulmate um he broke the magic that was restraining soulmate magic and it let and, and and it let loose on Earth, and people soulmate marks started to emerge. 
Well, I think it depends on how much angst you want to write. So, um, I wouldn't want to write an emergence of it because that's just like that's just asking for all kinds of politics and religion and shit that I don't want to write and people losing their minds and discussing divorce rates and <laughs> it's just like. Um, Vicage, the t the ticking clock is there's there's it's actually quite a common soulmate trope, where you've got a countdown clock on some part, usually on your wrist, that is a countdown to the moment you meet your soulmate. Um, I've read it where it's static, that it's just counting down, that nothing you do affects it. And I've read versions of it where sometimes you turn left instead of right, and your clock countdown changes. Um, sometimes by years. Yeah. Which reminds me of the lake house. Yeah, I like the idea of it changing better than it not because I don't like the idea that nothing you do affects that you you, you that you can't change the outcome of your life in any fashion. Um, it's really no, it. it I, well, I guess it would depend on how you wrote it. I mean, you could write it where if you don't meet them by the time or by the time the timer ends, then you'll never meet them. You could, but traditionally, it's it's the countdown to when you meet your soulmate. I don't, I've never I've never read it where it's a ticking time bomb. I read one story. I can't even remember the fan. I just remember that it was a kind of a turn left, turn right. Um, you it, it, the time changes. The time to your soulmate changes depending upon what decisions you make in your life. But I remember at one point in the story, the clock stalled, and it didn't stall permanently. It's just the character got really on the wrong path, and eventually they got back on the right path and it was like the clock stalling out was like their indication that they had really not where sort of where destiny wanted them to go. But it didn't, I, what I liked about it was that it didn't take away the idea that they had control and of, over their own destiny in some fashion, even, even control over their own mistakes. So. Um, I don't like the clock because it reminds me of that movie where people um, had a clock on their wrists on how much time they had left to live. And all the rich people had the minutes, and you had to work to earn minutes to live. Yeah, that's terrible. Um, so let me ask if the clock disappeared. It could. I mean, it all depends upon how you interpret the trope. So there's a lot of different approaches to the, these different tropes. The red string one. Um, the red string one is when you get close, close enough to your soulmate for the. Everybody's got kind of like a, a string. And for the most part, it's just kind of floating off into space. You know, only you can see your string. And um, when you get close enough to your soulmate, in some, you know, and the distance is relative. Like, each story is a little bit different. Um, is it based on Japanese folklore, Ar Arlen? Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, when you get close enough Pretty to... Cool. You get, when you get close enough to them for them to actually connect, you'll feel the connection and you can follow the string to your soulmate. Um, I've seen that connection in stories be as little as across a room to as much as across a town. Uh, I don't, I don't mind that particular trope. It's just, it's just not my particular. It seems complicated to write. Yeah. Um, one of the most interesting kind of soulmate things I ever read was, um, by Darkmore and C.A. Pearson, they were reincarnated. Was it called? Was it called Incarnates? I think so. And um, when they met, they were like, "Oh, there you are." And I love that idea. Oh, there you are. And we talked about it before that on um, on that song. 
you know, uh, where have you been? Yeah. And I, I really like that moment of two characters meeting and going, oh, well, fuck, there you are. I've been looking for you. Where have you been? <laughs> um, so, I mean, there yeah, are. Jim talked about it. Yeah. Jim mentioned it in Tangled Destinies that, that he had that moment when, when he met Spock, that he was, that he didn't know what he was missing. And then he found Spock and then, oh, there you are. That's what was missing. Um, and because that scene happened from Spock's point of view. And so I always kind of wanted to explore what Jim was thinking the, the day they met. Because, you know, Spock came home and, and told his mom that Jim was pretty. <laughs> so I, I always wondered what, what Jim thought. You know, what, what was going on in Jim's mind. And so I, so I explored that in that scene in the last episode of Tangled Destinies, actually. But, yeah. Yeah, aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. Hmm. I hope so, too, Frog. But, uh... <clears throat> I like that idea of, of people just of having that moment going... You know, not love at first sight, exactly, but just, like... Yeah, I like that moment of like instant recognition, you know. And the funny thing is, in, in in there are some shows where it's like characters meet and and they have the seem to have this moment of um, recognition. They seem to instantly click, and often they become, you know, significant ships in that fandom. It's like, did you ever watch Sleepless in Seattle? Mm-hmm. When he's first talking to Dr. Marsha, he talks about meeting his wife for the first time and that she that he offered her his hand and she took it and he said, and that was it. It was like magic. magic. And yeah. then there's that moment at the very end of the film where he offers his hand to Meg Ryan's character and she listened to that interview. Um, that's how they ended up meeting because she sent a letter that his son responded to. Um, and so you can see her hesitate because she wants that magic, but she's kind of afraid that magic won't be there. So it's a, it's a very charming moment in the movie, but she takes his hand and there's like this little moment between them and he smiles and she smiles. And then they all three shuffle into the elevator. Exactly the same. <laughs> just kind of shuffle together into the elevator. And it's just like the cutest yeah. thing. Um, <laughs> Somebody mentioned that, that that they like the idea of people choosing each other that they find that romantic. Um, they're one of the most common, I think, tropes subversions for um, soulmates is people either not having a soul mark in a or a soulmate in a soulmate world, or somebody who has a soul mark choosing to ignore it and be with a person that that they who isn't their soulmate because they love them. So, I mean, those are pretty common, you know, ways to subvert the trope. Um, for people who who like doing trope subversion, um, but soulmate doesn't necessarily mean. I mean, I think that it, I think it's a realistic possibility that there are times when soulmates don't work out. That somebody's an asshole. I mean, you can't guarantee that just because somebody was, you know, made for you, or you know, that they're ideal for you, that they didn't have a you know a shitty life and it's turned them into an asshole, and that they are not somebody that you're going to wind up being able to be with. So, I mean, that's that's a potential realistic consequence in a in a type of soulmate world. Um, 
So it um, not always work out. I wrote a Sentinel story where Aaron and Spencer Reed, um, Aaron Hotshire and Spencer Reed, were bonded because he bonded to Spencer during a traumatic event. Um, and Spencer allowed it. And um, Spencer's trying to make the relationship work and Aaron's all guilty and shit, you know, doing what he does, wallowing in his own guilt. Um, because he because he's worried that Reed sacrificed something, something special, because they're not a perfect match. Um, and they aren't a perfect match. In fact, Aaron has better matches in the system, but Reed doesn't. Because Reed's perfect match is dead. And it's called A Delicate Balance. Thank you, Lady Holder, because I was not getting the link, the title for that in my head. Um, but Aaron said he doesn't care. He doesn't, he, the, he only wants Spencer. He doesn't give a shit <laughs> about other matches. Not even better matches, because he wants Spencer. And his dick is very happy with that decision. <laughs> That's a line, actually, in the fic that, that, that comes up. It's a line. <laughs> Yeah. Well, imperfect is the same kind of principle, which is that um, Tony's perfect match is not going to work out. And he winds up with Derek Morgan instead. And he's perfectly happy with it. I mean, who wouldn't be? I'd be perfectly happy with that. That's your fig, isn't it? Yeah. Notes of truth. That, there's that great NCIS fic word, Genozo and O'Neill, where Tony already met his perfect symbol and hated him. That's Jilly's fic. Um, wait, wait, wait. Which one are we talking about? I'm having a hard time. Note of truth. No, that's not me. That's not I, I didn't write that. No. I was on the Derek Morgan one. Your Tony Jack one isn't a Sentinel fic? My Tony Jack one is a Sentinel fic, but they don't meet until Tony didn't have a perfect Sentinel before. And he didn't have a jerk off sentinel either. No. Okay. I read that that I read two of those I didn't even know I read because I really thought I'd only read one Tony Jack and that was yours. <laughs> I would like to actually write a fic that kind of turns the trope a little bit, kind of shifts the trope. Because what if it's not about being born for each other, but learning to love? unconditionally not unconditionally a strong term learning to love with your whole self creates the ability to have a soulmate bond what did you say i was distracted by explaining why oh. um that certain image was showing up i was i was saying that i would like to write a fic where learning to love with your whole self like learning to to accept your faults and their faults and um just just Basically, falling deeply in love creates the the ability to have a soulmate bond. I like that. I don't have a problem with eliminating gives. I don't understand the issue. <laughs> You're absolutely right. That would totally eliminate um, uh, gives. But just learning to accept your partner and to accept yourself and to love and to grow and just acknowledging that this is something that you want just to create this and then that you and the and in that love you can create a soulmate bond. I think that would be really interesting. Yeah, as opposed to made for each other, it's more like um oh, grow together. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, this Ty found the story, the, the Jack Tony story. It's this space opera by Athena Estrella. I think is how you pronounce that. That doesn't sound remotely familiar, but I guess I must have read it. <laughs> um, I haven't read this. Um, the first story is called the Fourteenth Amendment. The second story is called Accordance. It looks like Accordance is where there actually is a ship because the first story is Jen. Okay, I must have read it from Lady Holder's recommendation because I don't often read NCIS works unless they're from you know Lady Holder or Jilly. And if Jilly hasn't read it, then I mean I, that means I must have got it from Lady Holder. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have sought it out because the only NCIS fic that I ever seek out on my own is are dead air tags because I might have a tiny bit of an obsession with it. She's even read some really questionable stories that are dead air tags. She's like, she goes, she's like, I read them. Like, why did you read that? <laughs> it was dead air tag. I'm like, <laughs> it's a thing. I can't, I can't help myself. It's a thing. Dead air tag, click. <laughs> I'm obsessed. <sighs> I really hope you killed Ziva in your fix this month, next month, but no pressure. <laughs> it's entirely likely. It's entirely likely. I mean, she keeps trying. To, I mean, she keeps trying to kill Tony in a Sentinel world. I don't know what she expects to happen. <laughs> I almost had Steve kill her in my fic. I mean, it, it, it was a close thing, but I but I didn't. I felt like it would make Steve's characterization suffer. So it wasn't about her. It was about him. <laughs> I could feel it too, and that they were in that moment. I could feel that you were like just on the precipice of him killing her. That was when she came to Tony's building, right? Right. But and then it's more like, bitch, you don't mean nothing. <laughs> you go on. Somebody needs to. I'm just saying. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just I have to put it. Ziva was a major character in the show, so I have to put a major character death warning. Dead on Ziva it, is the best Ziva. <laughs> 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 that should be a tag on AO3. If it's not, I don't know why it's not. <laughs> I have not seen this dead air tag. I have read I... that. I have totally read that. It was like in a collection of dead air variations, I think. Someone get me a link. Sir? What the hell? I can't even count on my friends anymore to tell me the funny zombie fix. You judge me about my dead air fix. <laughs> and you don't like zombies. I read Claire's zombies. Well, that's Claire. <laughs> I read Claire's zombies. But I, but I do think it's in a Dead Air Variation collection. It's like there's a whole bunch of them. And one of them is that they're too busy in the car reading. And they miss the zombie apocalypse and zombies kill them. <laughs> I think I'm going to have Mike Banning kill Ziva. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to put Mike Banning in a story, he really needs to get to kill somebody. Right? <laughs> Mike, you're my favorite Secret Service agent. <sighs> Zombie Tony killed him? Now, see, the thing is, here's the thing, guys. I, Claire's story, all in, is one of my favorite 
fanfics, not just in Team Wolf. It's one of my favorite fanfics. No, it's a really good fic. It's great. It's great. But I put off reading it for years, years, because I don't like zombies. But it was on my list because it was Claire, right? So it's like, this is Claire's story. It sounds good, but it's got zombies. So I'm never in the mood for zombies. But just in the case I'm in the mood for a zombie, I will put it on my <laughs> list. Then one day she was in the mood for zombies. I mean, I'm not even sure if that's what happened. <laughs> I just was like, okay, I'm going to read this story finally. I think what I think what happened is AO3 has a little thing like you log in it says are you ready yet and it has a list of things. <laughs> I got that recently and I'm like, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Like, you know, click. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was there. I was like, oh, I still have that story of Claire's I haven't read. All right, and I just once I started reading, I was like, I couldn't stop. And then I was like, why did I put off reading this for so long? I was like, well, the zombies. AO3 acting like a pushy boyfriend. <laughs> That story is called All In, and on AO3, it's by My Red Turtle. But on, if you want to read it on WordPress, Claire's site is Claire's Nook. It's great. It's a great fic. It, it, it is, it's a hard read. It will make you ugly cry at one point. It, it's a very hard read. And I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I ugly cried. Um, and I'm not even someone who read. I mean, I only, my Team Wolf reading is pretty slim. Jilly. Lady Holder, if she if she writes it, you know, just like, and then sometimes I'll read something if they wreck it to me, but I don't make a habit of of reading Teen Wolf, and that and that broke my heart. Yeah, but it was beautiful. If you're listening, Claire, it was beautiful. Not the Pope Claire. I haven't seen her in a hot minute. Um, the Zombie Apocalypse by Amber and Ash was one of the. I guess it's one of the. And that title is on point. The, dead air the, zombie, the zombie apocalypse. It's called variants on the theme of dead air. <laughs> yeah. Clearly Kira is There's better. There's a whole bunch in, of them. Clearly Kira is better at the dead air tag hunting than I am. I just have a, a, a dead air thing. I'll read any dead air fic once. As, as long as it doesn't have like a serious warning on it that I can't stand. You know, um, I'm, I'm gonna check it out because it's it's my obsession. <laughs> even she even reads the ones where Tony dies. That would hurt my heart. It it hurts so much. It was so sad. But you've read it too. <laughs> I have. I've read it. Actually, I've read it several times. Shut up. You want a good cry? That'll be the story that does it. Okay, so we've talked about so th there's a lot of different mechanisms for your soulmate, and I, I like I do like the idea that soulmate is something you grow into as opposed to something you're born with. So I guess those are your two options, right? Um, is your two options are either you're born with your soulmate already picked, right, or you grow into your soulmate, and which it is probably depends upon which kind of story you want to tell. Um, I would think if you grow into your soulmate that you're looking more at kind of a a mark situation, but I guess a string could form. Like, you know, one day you're hanging out, you do the whole I love you, I love you too thing, and all of a sudden there's a red thread connecting you. It's like, oh, look. I mean, that could be kind of a variation on hand fasting. Yeah. I mean, you could do a whole hand fasting AU of, around the idea of um, – Maybe even forming like a temporary link with someone who could potentially be your soulmate. So you date them and figure them out and bang them because you need to test that shit out. Can you take it for a ride? 
That's very yeah, Mary's something you gotta take a ride on because you don't know what you're getting. Just saying. Anyway, you could, you could actually have different color threads, right? As as you move through the stages of of the um, the hand fasting, just yeah. Just, that leads to a full like soulmate AU bond ish thing. So Shadow says you could have a mark that's a smudge and changes as you grow closer to a compatible soulmate. Yeah. Um, I tend to like marks. Um, I plotted a story where um, that your mark, you get your mark when you meet or either meet in getting proximity. In this particular one, it was actually that they touched. I think I talked about this on another podcast. We talked about soulmates. Um, and um, your mark, the mark you get depends upon how many lives you've been soulmates in. So the more, the more times you've done this together, the bigger the mark is. And in that case, it was a Hannibal Will story, and like their entire bodies recovered. It was gorgeous. That that is a gorgeous concept. It's like, oh, we've done this a few times. Hey, look at us. <laughs> Although I also did it where getting the mark is a little bit traumatic because it takes a lot out of you. It's like it puts them both almost in a coma. Because it got to put some tension in there. It can't just be all, you know. Oh, aren't we pretty? Look at how decorated we are. Let's go get laid. <laughs> well, it depends on how much time you have to write. <laughs> right? Exactly. I mean, if you've <laughs> got to get something out in 5K, it's like, okay. We could do like little palate cleanser challenges, like a couple of months ahead of the, the main challenge next year. Like do 5K soulmate fic or something to kind of get people practicing the concept. So a couple of months before April would be February. That's around the time we're finishing up the quantum bang. <laughs> Our schedule is quite full, Jillian. I know. I know. <laughs> because we got fluff bingo. We got quantum bang. We got April and July and November. <laughs> we're going to keep on. We have something going on that's due every single month. <laughs> I'm fine with platonic soulmates. I don't have an issue with that. I mean, um, I honestly would not write it, but I would read it. Um, and I would fully expect it to happen in any universe that I created because, yeah, because asexual people exist and there's a spectrum of asexual people. I do realize, please don't email me. I do realize that some asexual people do have sex. I get it. Please don't send me an email. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I, I know people who consider themselves platonic soulmates, so it's not... Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have a... But I once got an email from somebody really snottily telling... You know, some people who are asexual do have sex. So you don't have to phrase it like we're all just sexless creatures. And I said, number one, I would never call anybody a sexless creature because that's weird and unfortunate thing to say. And two, that's not what I said at all. <laughs> I never would say that. I know that like... Like all sexuality, sexuality exists on a spectrum. And there are varying degrees across the board from asexual to homosexual to heterosexual. There, there's a... And also, people move up and down that spectrum throughout their life. And that spectrum is individual. Everybody, we are all... My heterosexuality exactly. is different from the next heterosexual woman that I know. Because Kira has As. a big old crush on Katie Lang. <laughs> right? 
<laughs> she's the only one I know. I'm just kidding. I know some other heterosexual women. Um, no, but, but you, yeah. the reason why yours is different is because you have a big old crush on Katie Lang, and we all know it. This is true. I do have a big old crush on Katie Lang. I also have, I mean, I have a deeply intellectual crush on Rachel Maddow. She's my TV girlfriend. And well, but who can blame me? And then there's Ruby Rose. Uh, Ruby Rose, which <laughs> my crush on Ruby. her is not intellectual. Ruby Rose is. I don't even, girl. <laughs> you go, you do you. <laughs> um, but if, if, it, if I mean I um, yeah I I would if I think including having platonic soulmates would be a thing, and also, you know, if you wanted to write platonic soulmates, what does that look like? Um, does because platonic doesn't necessarily mean that both partners are ace, right? could but it doesn't have to mean that but it, right there could be a situation where you have best friends that are soulmates and one of them is married how do they handle that how does that work how would it be to be married to somebody who has a soulmate and you're not it right or to be you know it, it, it this would be a little angstier but you're somebody who let's say you're you're, you're sexual in some fashion. You pref you like having sex, like maybe all the sex, with anybody you can get sex with, and your soulmate is ace. Well, what does that look like? How do you work that relationship out? Um, there's a soulmate AU. I read the story. I'm, I can only remember this vaguely. It's, it's an AU where Styles and Peter are soulmates, but Peter's aromantic. Um, he's a dick, and but they have great sex together. Derek is ace, and he and Styles are in love. So they have all the squishy feelings and the cuddling and stuff. But Peter and Styles bang each other. Um, is it called whatever it works? Whatever works. Um, maybe. Sachi's saying that it that she linked it earlier too. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a romantic, so I, well, I find those concepts really interesting, and I would and I would probably read them if I didn't find Peter deeply offensive. Um, <laughs> as a rule, I would not write it. I I just I want to write something romantic and sexy because that's what I yeah. You know, this is people have, um, people have, I was, I just brought up as an example of people having worked out the mechanics of a complicated relationship like that. I think this may be the only, that may have been the, one of the only stories I've read by, if this is it, that's probably, I think this may be the only story I've read by this author. But I think that for me, that the important part of such a relationship would be, um, communication and respect. Um, Yeah. I wouldn't want to read infidelity in a situation like that. I don't ever want to read infidelity. To be perfectly frank. Um, no, but what stuck what stuck out of my mind about that story was 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 the clear negotiation of everything. Um, interesting typo, Chris. <laughs> Whatever device you're using does not like you. <laughs> I'm sure that's not what you meant to say. Autocorrect had its way with you and it wasn't kind. 
That bitch didn't even buy you dinner first. Okay. <laughs> but um, no, I, I just, I am um, a sexual person. I'm a romantic person. So when I'm looking at how I'm going to construct a story, those are two elements that are going to be popping up in my fiction. But I would never want anybody to look at that and see that as a value judgment that I am placing on somebody else because it's not. Um, I don't tend to write asexual characters the same reason I don't write transgender characters. And it's not because I don't find them interesting and I wouldn't want to write them is that I don't want to get it wrong and get berated and abused. Well, sometimes it doesn't even matter whether you, how, how, because like you've mentioned, it's on a spectrum. And I've seen people who were, who are ace, not were, but who are ace or who are trans write stories that have trans or ace characters in them, get berated for getting it wrong. And it's like, um, Oh, Chris. <laughs> you, what about your boss? Okay. <laughs> if I ever wrote dick to my boss in a text, I would be done. I would just be done. I'm, like, I'm sorry. I quit. <laughs> Are you okay over there? I'm fine. <laughs> what were you saying? I'm sorry. I got so distracted. Can you imagine his face, though? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> the best part is knowing how old Chris is and also imagining his face. <laughs> he thinks he's got this sweet little old lady working for him and she sends him dick. In a text message. <laughs> and if anybody's like, how dare she call the, uh, Chris an old lady? This woman used to call herself my geriatric fangirl. So <laughs> she calls herself an old lady. <laughs> it, it, at least it wasn't a dick pic. So, yeah, there, there, there is that. He's young enough to be your son. <laughs> it gets better. I I worked for a company once where there was this guy who was doing a presentation. This is back when we had, when you printed out stuff on transparencies, you know, and you put the transparencies up. Anyway, he was, I, I, clearly he was running really late. And there was a word that was pervasive throughout the presentation that was a word. It was a branded word. Okay, that's called a branded word. It was a branded word, a service mark, trademark word. And it was not in the dictionary. And this dodo brain is both a trademark and a service mark in this particular case. But that's irrelevant. Um, it is branded word. Um, was not in the dictionary. And he did, he wasn't thinking and did a global search and replace. Well, what it replaced this word with was penis. <laughs> and he printed it out on transparencies and didn't check what the fuck he was doing. And so he went and slaps that first transparency up and it there right there it says the penis ramp <laughs> on the title slide penis ramp I was like hmm. what do you do with that you take the slide down this is in front of the CEO of the company no less oh god so you know oops <laughs> I don't know how you get past that. It's just like, oh yeah, he did remain employed. He just 
you know, everybody laughed because, you know, it was a, it was, it was, it was a new word. It was a word that had been made up. Um, there had actually been a naming competition um, for this, to make it, to making up a word to name this product. And anyway, so everybody, everybody immediately understood what had happened, but yeah. So anyway, um, no, I mean, he clearly didn't live it down because we're talking about this two decades later. Three decades later. <laughs> Close, not quite, not quite three decades later. I was I was 19, I think, 20. So it's pretty close to three decades, though. I think it's great to substitute orgasm for organisms. Um, okay, so soulmates. Um, let's plot something, Ms. Marcos. Okay. Um, what, what do you want to go with? You want to go with... Um, Want to go with made for each other? Or do you want to go with developing soul mark mate thing? Well, we often do. I think it's probably in our wheelhouse that we often do made for each other. So I'd be interesting to explore um, growing into it. Okay, pick a fandom. Hmm. We can do NCIS. Unless you want to do Stargate. Either's fine. Okay, so... NCIS. Um, 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 um. Make notes. Um, a rare pair for me would be uh, Tony Dinozo and Dwayne Pride. That'd be very rare. Yeah. And um, yeah, very pretty. But it would be really interesting, like if um Tony got uh, we could throw in a dead air tag too. So like, let's do. Okay, so post dead air, Tony decides he can't work with them anymore and um, asks to be transferred. And he ends up in New Orleans. And he ends up on Dwayne's team. And I think Dwayne's still married at the time, so no go on that. But maybe he's on the team for a couple years and the, the divorce happens and um, you can start the story like Dwayne coming back, you know, after taking a little bit of leave to process his divorce um, and just have this kind of slow burn into this, this hot, sexy, just romantic relationship with no, with no, no, not a lot of conflict, just something soft, like a, like a really soft landing. And like something that. sweet. You could also, if you'd want it to go a little, if you want it, I mean, you could do a time skip forward where they work together because I think that the time, well, the time working together does give you time to have them get to know each other and for Tony to have gotten over what happened in Washington. So you could do a time skip and show him settle down on the team. Um, but if you wanted to kind of end the marriage sooner, it could be that um, you, Dwayne's wife, like maybe she found someone she felt could be a soulmate for her, or maybe they divorced way sooner just because they never developed a soul bond. True. True. He could be single already. Um I that could I just be. wouldn't want to set up a like a cheating fix, so that no, so that no. was why I, I I said what I said. But it just I, I I feel like they would have a really kind of hot, sexy, soft, intimate relationship. Is there honestly anything better than the idea of Scott Bakula calling you darling in a southern accent? Because I don't think so. I don't think so either. 
sort of a well daddy kind of moment. <laughs> He's such a daddy. When did he turn into a daddy? I don't know. I'm I'm really happy about it. It, <laughs> it wasn't during necessary roughness. I can promise you that. No, that was definitely when he was, that was his sugar baby phase. And now he's a sugar daddy and we're all on board. All on board. We're on board um, that train. I am nothing but a fan. Um, it could be that, and that could be an actually common cause of divorce is couples who fail to develop a soul bond. Um, and it could be kind of a low animosity look guy. You know, like, look, it's been eight years. It just ain't happening. We just aren't going to be. And that, you know. And there could be a lot of reasons. That gives them why. time to have the daughter because I think that she's really an important part of Pride's characterization. I think his relationship with his kid's awesome. Yeah, I agree. So that could be, if you ever wanted to write a story where you have developing soul bonds and you have a character who's married, you know, that could be a way to end a relationship that's kind of low conflict. You don't have to fridge the wife, you know. Um, which is just Hey, it didn't work out. Um, we, ha we we've been trying for however many years we've been trying, and uh, it's time to move on. We both deserve a soul bond, and we're gonna go. We're gonna go after it. And maybe he's dated some, you know, men and women since then, and maybe he's maybe in a little bit of a kind of a oh, well, you know, maybe it's just not gonna happen for me moment when Tony transfers in. And this is where you have an opportunity to not only give. Dwayne something soft and sexy but to give Tony a really nice landing in New Orleans where this isn't seen as a punishment um, but that Gibbs asked Pride like look this shit happened it went down on my team my team is not going to survive this um, I would like to send Tony your way keep him safe so that you don't have to write this vicious, ugly Gibbs, you know, unless you just want to, unless you want that to be some kind of external conflict. But often I get bored writing that shit. I yeah, mean, I like writing it. And sometimes I'm in the mood to read it. But other times I don't want to write an evil Dumbledore or I don't want to write an evil Gibbs, you know. Yeah, I mean, I was actually when I was pondering my characterization work for um November I was like I'm kind of bored with Gibbs being a dick so I mean he's kind of like it's it's his core nature to kind of be a dick but he's just going to be like normal dick and not excessive dick <laughs> right <laughs> I mean he is a dick I mean he's you just know. not he's just not going to be extra because you know I I, I don't need I just I'm, I'm, it's it's just I'm just I'm just bored with it for right now. For right now, I, I can make him an extra extra dicky some other time. <laughs> but I did plot a story that has some of the some of the basis of this, which is that. But it was a little bit different in the sense that Tony didn't. Um, he just ultimately decided it wasn't that he. It wasn't that it wasn't handled well after the fact, but that it just kind of broke something for Tony, which is that he couldn't go out in the field again and trust anybody. He just he and it wasn't that he actually was broken but he felt broken um because i just i was just really thinking about it one day it's like that's something that there, there's a leap of faith that people in law enforcement have to take which is that when they call for backup that it's going to be there and that someone's going to be listening 
And like you, we've, we've read those, you know, I think we've all read those, those fixes probably happen in real life or the gay cop um, doesn't get back up when he calls for it. It just, I find it horrifying, you know, like, how do you go on and do that job when you don't know what's going to happen when you get on the radio and you ask for help? So um, I plotted it that he just decided to leave NCIS and he wound up in New Orleans and he opened a bakery and um, pride didn't know who that was that he was going in and stopping it. And they just kind of had developed kind of a friendship over coffees and beignets every morning. And um, eventually pride realized who he was. And Tony kind of was going in to consult with him on a couple of cases and pride eventually lured him back to work for NCIS. So, um, and I could apply that kind of soul developing soul bond kind of concept to, because what would heal somebody more than, Knowing that your soulmate had your back, right? There's a dick joke in there somewhere. <laughs> I just can't figure out where it is. There's a dick joke in almost everything. <laughs> but no, I love the idea of it. Uh, I love the idea of, of Tony being romanced in more than one way. Like he's being lured back into a job that he was very good at and clearly loved. Um, but he's also um, being romanced by this hot ass you know, that is hot ass. And, and I, Tony <laughs> definitely knows who pride is, but he doesn't tell pride. And he's reluctant with him at first because pride starts coming into his bakery and he's like, Oh crap. Here's the NCIS guy. But Tony kind of eventually softens towards him. And um, I think that soulmates would absolutely have to be exempt from any kind of um, fraternization re regulations, whether it be like um, civilian work or military work. Because what do you do when your soulmate is your, also your commanding officer? Yeah. Although. You can't get well, in trouble for that, right? I mean, that would be right. ridiculous. While I, while there probably, I'm sure there are fraternization regs in real life. I don't believe the show actually had any. So um, sometimes you just kind of got to go with show canon. Just like we go with show canon on how long it takes to get a DNA test turned around. It ain't that quick. Anyway, um, I went with bakery because I usually have it be, it's kind of always been like in my character bio for Tony, I have it that his first year of college, even though he has some scholarships, that his trust fund, he's fighting for control of his educational trust. And he winds up working as a short order cook to help, you know, make ends meet in college. Um, and so for this story, though, I had it be that he worked in a bakery instead. And so he really kind of liked it. And so he kind of fell back on that background when he left NCIS. Like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to New Orleans. And I'm gonna bake shit. And he winds up buying somebody's bakery and making beignets for you know a few years because you know what what else you can do to get over some trauma but go to the Big Easy and fry things, fry dough. I mean, honestly, it doesn't sound like a bad gig at all. I love beignets. I love New Orleans. <laughs> Just sounds great. I love Scott Bakula. <laughs> it's just it's just a win all the way around. It's a total win. But yeah, sometimes I don't want to write some angsty shit where, you know, there's always someone out to get them. And, you know, sometimes I don't really specialize in that shit to begin with. It isn't my it isn't it's in my wheelhouse. I just choose not to write it because I like to write things that make me happy, which is why you're never going to see a major character death from me or even minor character death that I love. No, I, well, 
you would write major character death. You just wouldn't write major character death of a character in your story. Yeah. Because major character death actually means a major character in the canon. And Okay, so I did that. I did the hell out of that in Doctor Little, didn't I? And, yeah, and you also... I pretty, haven't you killed Elizabeth Weir, too? No. Oh, you sure? Never? I thought you had. In Revenant, she's alive. She's just paralyzed from the waist down. Oh, I killed her in um, Patient Zero. Mm -hmm. Major character death. But I didn't think of major character death as as my protagonist. No, major character death means a care. It actually means a character in the canon, technically, because it's about people not being traumatized by a, oh. a canon a canon favorite being kicked off. That's why it's an archive warning on fandom sites. It doesn't really have anything to do with your story protagonist. Yeah, she got raised Asian interim. Um, she did get killed in Patient Zero, but it happens off screen, and you never even see her. Um, let's see, in Revenant. She gets paralyzed. Yeah, I killed Carson too in Patient Zero. Frankly, a lot of people died in Patient Zero. And what might have been Elizabeth's not dead. She's ascended. That's a very fine line you're walking there. Oh, I think it's probably a spoiler. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> well... What's been put into canon and what might have been is that she was left in Pegasus and she joined that um, that uh, commune, that Ascension commune cult thing in the, the in the dilation field. So, but yeah. Well, she's uh, sympathetic in Ties That Bind. Um, she's sympathetic in Sentinels of Atlantis. Uh... She's sympathetic and when um, the air the angels breathe. I don't like writing the same character over and over and over and over and over again, you know, as, as an asshole, you know? Yeah, it's just having the same person be evil all the time is really tedious. And really, most of my problems with Elizabeth Weir as a character boil down to writing. Inconsistent writing at that. Yeah, she's not dead yet and hold my coffee. Give it a minute. <laughs> so um i do like the idea of a slow kind of you know like a little bit of a slow burn romance and the thing is when i'm when i say like when, or when kira says and i agree with kira that sometimes i don't want to write the angst it can have an angsty backstory before the beginning of the story like the reason why they're in the situation they're in i just don't want there's a difference between having it on screen and um writing all that angst you know i i just i, I just not, i just sometimes you just don't want to write it also somebody mentioned kurt and vic a low angst to me does not mean slice of life that's not my jam i would not write domestic fic is just not my thing um i don't even really like reading it it's just not my preference i know some people are really into it but watch you know reading characters going to buy curtains no i don't even want to read them hanging the curtains the only thing I'm talking about the curtains. Unless they're having wild sex against the window and they rip the curtains down, that's the kind of only kind of curtain fic I'm likely to read. There's this great fic in Stargate. Um, it's um, John has purple curtains, purple sparkly curtains, and purple sparkly curtains, and 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 it comes up a lot. Of course it does. So, 
anyways. I remember that's why I remember about it, and I remember I loved it. It was just funny. I mean, unless it's something like that, but in general, I mean, I mean, I don't even. I mean, I would like to. Go, I would like to. I, don't, there, I know curtain fic really took off for a while. I just don't know why. <laughs> I just don't know. But I'm not, I've never really understood that kind of slice of life. I, I don't read, really enjoy domestic like stuff, like doing laundry and. And unless you're like doing laundry and your partner comes along and bangs you on the washing machine. <laughs> right. No, curtain, curtain thick is domestic thick where they like go out and buy curtains together. Or yeah. a new couch. I mean, you can, you can, you can spread it out a little bit. Well, yeah. But I mean, I read, I read a story once that had a 5,000 word chapter. It was a chapter, a whole chapter on grocery shopping. Whole, I, it was, it was Why just was slice of life. I don't know. It was slice of life. It was, it was, you know, which brand of stewed tomatoes should we get? Uh, nothing happened. Nothing moved the story forward. It was all domestic slice. Now there was other things in that, to be fair, there was, the story had a lot of plot. This was sort of like a pause chapter, but that pause chapter ruined the pace because they had all of this other stuff going on. And all of a sudden there's 5,000 words of grocery shopping and picking out canned vegetables. 5,000 words of grocery shopping is like the two chapters that are dedicated in the long-ass version of The Princess Bride to her packing up the farm. Or that turtle in The Grapes of Wrath. You it's get just... it, motherfucker. It was a metaphor. Move on. So, I mean, I know people really like well, it. I, would say the cool. I think the popularity of... I think the popularity of Curtain Fick kind of comes back to that whole idea of writing something soft and frivolous that will hurt your feelings <laughs> and and i'm and okay but for me that kind of thing soft and frivolous is, that does isn't gonna hurt my feelings which is kind of usually kind of schmoopy it needs to be under 5k i mean it's it's gotta be and preferably under 1k honestly because i just can't i just can't for me, I mean, I know if you if you like it, if that's your jam, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to you know shame you or anything like that. It's just I just don't I find it really tedious. I find it boring. So that's just where I'm at with with the curtains, and the shopping, and the vegetables, and the farmers market, especially farmers market. I, you know, the only person I want to see go shopping is Hannibal. <laughs> His shopping usually involves a dead body at the end. Sometimes he goes to the farmer's market, and it's always a good time. And I'm pretty sure he there's a stock boy that winds up in his trunk. One time I read a fic, and don't please don't ask me any more about it than this, because this is all I really remember, is that Will is a fishmonger, and he's viciously rude to everybody. Um, and Hannibal comes along. And he's halfway through buying his fish. And he's pretty much already decided that Will's going in the Relodex. He even asked him for his card. And Will doesn't have cards. Because fuck that. And fuck you. You gonna buy some fish or what? <laughs> but Hannibal keeps coming back to buy fish. Because Will. And that's all I remember about that fic. I loved it though. Because <laughs> he's thinking to myself. He says, I'm gonna kill you. You're not gonna make it. You're going in the Rolodex. I need your business card. Will's like, fuck you. I'll get a business card. Get away from me, asshole. Thwarted. Completely thwarted. Hamill doesn't even know what to do with it. That he doesn't have a business card. <laughs> you know what would be a deeply romantic gesture? And I won't, I won't talk much about Hannibal. 
because I know people get pissy about it. I'm sorry. Not really. I'm not sorry, but I won't do it for very long. But you know what would be a really deeply romantic gesture on Hannibal's part? would be like after Will figured out who he was, if Hannibal just sent him his Rolodex. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'll stop doing it unless you want me to. And then if you want me to, you just pick out the card and give it to me. <laughs> Will starts filling up Hannibal's Rolodex. <laughs> I've never met this person. Oh, okay, darling. <laughs> Whatever did they do? Uh, it doesn't really matter. You've you've picked the menu, and I'm. <laughs> Sorry, I we... know some people get deeply triggered by Hannibal. I I get it. It's just, it's really fucking amusing to me. That's all. And, and I have no excuse. And I offer no Okay. <laughs> um, so let's do made for each other. Let's also, but let's do, let's do Tony Rampart for made for each other. You pick the soulmate device since I picked okay. the pairing. Made for each other. So I did, I, I did this short fic with Rampart, with Rampart and Tony where they meet at the Marine Ball. Um, it's Christmas party. Oh, it's called Dance With Me. I love that story. It's actually one of my favorite shorts. Um, and I must have read it like 15 times. And Rampart's all up in Tony's business, not giving a shit who's listening. And I really like that part where he knows that Gibbs is listening and doesn't care. Yeah. And he's just like, I want, I want you. And I don't care what anybody thinks. Don't ask, don't tell is over, and I'm here to, I'm I'm here to tell. <laughs> Dark, and I was just like, that would be. But what would be really interesting is if they had a moment like that where they met in public, like maybe it's at a an event where you know Tony's working for NCIS and Rampart's doing his Marine job business deal and he sees Tony across the room and says oh there you are that's what I've been waiting for give me some of that no really come here <laughs> <laughs> give me some of that because it would be really interesting to have that moment in front of like all these really important people and just like all of it just falls away and none of it matters I think that would be a thing for um, in in a soulmate world. It's like the moment, you, and it would be something that would be you know known and accepted in a soulmate society. Much just much like in a Sentinel Guide thing is that if you have this moment where you meet your soulmate, this thing that everybody, not everybody, but probably most people long for to happen for them, or has happened for them, and they have a really positive experience of it, is you've met your soulmate. Everybody goes, yeah, yeah, we get it. We know that there's a big thing happening, but you go, you go on and talk to your soulmate. It'll, it'll keep for a while. I imagine it'd be a very electric moment. Just like, shit. <laughs> I'm supposed to be working. This is not what I, at least you're pretty. <laughs> I mean, because it's, you know, if it is that, that moment where you're meeting someone who's meant for you and you have that recognition, whatever you're doing, whatever else is going around on around you would cease to matter, right? Yeah. And then you're having to deal with 
Well, I had plans for the weekend. I guess I can call and cancel them. Well, what if it can't cease to matter? What if, um, let's say the joint, let's say Randolph Rampart is commandant of the Marine Corps. So he's one of the joint chiefs. And um, they need an ex, they're calling in an expert on some sort of, I don't know, intel on something. that, And for whatever reason, maybe somebody in the, in wherever wherever they're looking at actionable intel on or something says that the, the, the person that they need to talk to is an NCIS agent named Anthony Denozo. And so they call Anthony Denozo. Maybe he comes, he's running an op in, um, what's it? MTAC? MTAC. And they meet over the camera. Or Tony has to go to the situation room. He has to meet with the Joint Chiefs to explain something. They don't want it, risk it being over camera. He walks in the room and they can't exactly, because of the situation that's going on, they can't exactly excuse themselves and go have a moment. What do they do? Like they look at each other like, oh, hello. <laughs> I, th I think Rampart would like put his hand on that, on Tony's arm and like, you just sit there. <laughs> We're just going to, you're just going to stay. You're just, you're not going anywhere. Cause we can't, I can't leave right now, but you can stay. <laughs> so you're going to stay. <laughs> and they'd be like, he can, no, no, he, he can't leave. He can stay. As you were saying, Mr. President. <laughs> Is there a problem, General Rampart? My soulmate just walked in the room. I'm, oh, well, felicitations. <laughs> As I was saying, y'all need to stay out of, the, out of the Rampart's business. But it would also be, you know, really terrible to meet your soulmate. And there are some traumatic circumstances and situations where you meet somebody uh, that you would not want to meet your soulmate. Like, you're in the emergency room due to catastrophic injury and you look up and your doctor is your soulmate. Or worse, you're the doctor and your soulmate's on or your table your bleeding out. Getting ready to, or you're a surgeon and you're getting ready for emergency surgery. You go into the operating room and your soulmate's on the table. So what do you do? And I would imagine that there'd be, that's something you have to think about in your world building is what are the protocols in that kind of situation? Because our inclination based upon our worldview, you know, in the world we actually, the real world we live in, is that it would be a conflict of interest. But maybe in a, in a soulmate world, it may not actually be possible for a soulmate to step away from their soulmate in that situation. It may be like, it may be like an actual impossibility. The surgeon might have to go forward with the operation. Or he's the only surgeon in three miles or, th or 30 minutes can, that can do it. And it has to be done right now. I mean, that happens today where there are surgeons who are very specific in their um, field. And they could be the only one who could perform an operation within an hour's drive of the location. Or even 10 hours in some situations. And so they're the only one. They're the only one in the hospital. They're the only one in the region. What do you do? You perform an operation. Right. Well, I mean, you kind of have that issue already. Like, in, you know, like if, when it comes to operating on family members, I and mean, if there's, generally it's like not something you're supposed to do is practice medicine on a family member. But if there's no choice, you do what you got to do. My uncle used to tell this joke. And it was, um, not, not, it's kind of a word problem, really, more than a joke, but he would really amuse him to watch people struggle with it, especially other men struggle with it, because they, they just couldn't figure out what it was. It was like, 
it, it goes like this. A father and son are in a terrible car accident and they get to the emergency room and the son needs surgery. And the doctor on call says, I can't operate on this boy because it's my son. And then you can, you'll, you can watch a group of men just like, well, how the is that? A woman? Right. The doctor is his mother, obviously. But, you know, you get a bunch of old men together and they're thinking, well, and more often than not, they thought, well, did the, did the, is he a, is he a stepson or is like, did the mom have an affair? Like it never crosses their mind that the woman it's a female doctor and it's her son. You know, it's just like, yeah. But he, he used to break people's brain over it all the time, especially old men. And enjoy doing it. Yeah, even now it would be even better because it could still be a male doctor. <laughs> it's very common to have two daddies these days. Not Well, not very common, but common enough that it would be funny to watch those old men stumble around it. But anyways, it's just it just reminded me of that for some reason that I can't fathom. Somehow you just can't control where your brain goes. Sometimes your brain blips. It just goes, oh, over there. But um, I, I, it, it would be interesting. And I personally would not choose a, a catastrophic moment to do it. Um, maybe having a moment where they can't acknowledge it in the minute, in the moment, for some reason or another. Well, somebody mentioned up above, like you meet during an undercover operation, that actually could be really tense because if your character doesn't know, one character doesn't know the other's undercover and will end up, I actually wouldn't write. Okay. So like, let's say Tony's undercover and the person he's under, his soulmate is, is a, is a criminal that I actually wouldn't write that, you know, mm -mm. but, um, well, the obvious undercover option in NCIS canon would be, what was her name? Oh, Jean Benoit? Yeah, Jean Benoit. Um, what if she had been his soulmate? That's some ugly shit. Yeah. I mean, what happened? What that whole thing was ugly? And it I don't was. really want to go down that road and, and talk about how ugly I think it was and how ugly it got. Um, but in many states, what he did, that kind of intimate fraud, you can go to jail for that. He should not have slept with her. No, he really shouldn't have. Yeah. I, I just didn't want to say it out loud, um, out loud, Jenny. But yeah. It's very ugly. But, you know. Oh, what if he, what if that dude in the in the sewer, the, not the dead one, but the, but the one that lived. What if he was Tony's soulmate? Oh, no. Atlas? Or a circumstance like that. Not particularly Atlas in general, but a circumstance like that. Where he meets his his soulmate because his soulmate's a hostage of a killer. That would be better. Because the thing about Atlas was he was at least complicit in the death of those girls that had this uh, this serial killer after him. So, you know. Yeah. Um. You know, that, that's sort of like if you're going to go, if you start going down that path, what if he was Jeffrey White's soulmate? I mean, there's someone out there who'd write it. There is someone out there who would write that. I'm sorry, I brought it up. Um, there are plenty of reasons not to like Jenny Shepard. The whole um, pimp out Tony was the least of them, to be perfectly frank. Actually, I think it was the, I think it was one of the worst, because he tried to back off that assignment when Jean was pushing for intimacy. Mm -hmm. And 
um, Jenny basically, she almost gaslighted him into it. Um, it was really ugly. It's very ugly, but I don't think it's as ugly as the fact that she let Ziva stay at NCIS knowing that she was a spy. And knowing that she probably chose Kate as Aries' target. I do well, believe that. We believe it, but that's fanon inference. But see, but see, it's not just fanon because they threaded that in. They they foreshadowed that shit. Then they backed off because some segment of the fandom liked Ziva's character. A lot. But that was that wasn't something that I imagined. They threaded that shit into it. From the get-go, her character, there was an edge about her that told me, okay, she's gonna be a bad guy. And then they started to soften her up and change it because of fan response. And then they, and the thing is that, so they backpedaled on the, on the making her be a problem, right? Like they, they laid the groundwork that she was going to be an issue and then they backpedaled on it. And then after the whole Israel thing, you find out that she was lying all along. And it was like, why did they, was it, it was like because they had put that plot into motion, they decided they couldn't back off on it, even though they'd already backed off on it. It was just so dumb. Yeah, had, because not only because uh, she killed Ari under orders um, and didn't tell, she'd been spying for NCIS the whole time. And I think that she came in as a spy and generally let her get away with it because she wanted information on the frog. I think that was a quid pro quo. Now, I believe that that's how it would have gone down if they hadn't softened Ziva's character due to fan response. I think that was all you could, it was all foreshadowed and then they just it just disappeared. Now we can say that's just bad writing, which you know, fair. But Jenny was problematic from the start. From the get-go, she was a problem. Yeah. But when it comes to, I mean, I think there's Sometimes we kind of have to, sometimes we hand wave away actual actions in canon because they contradict other actions in canon. So when you've got contradictory actions and then you've got foreshadowing that went nowhere, um, I think and, for sure, for sure though, Ziva was definitely spying. And really, that, in the end, she did encourage Tony to do it. She actually told him to do it, but he's the one that did it. And I think that was terrible character work for him because he knew it was wrong. That's why he was questioning it. And he let her encourage him into doing it. So while she might have gaslighted him and might have said, hey, you know, go ahead. I mean, if, 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 if you want her, take her. He's the one that put his dick in her. Yeah, I mean, I agree. He absolutely should not have done it. Though, to be fair, I, it was almost like the way that the writer, who whoever wrote that up that series of episodes, it was like they really didn't want Tony to go down that path. So it's like they broke him down as hard as they could to get him to finally get in bed with Jean, which is why they killed Paula. Yeah. Because he and didn't. It's, it's he all did, ugly. He didn't give in and finally admit that. And the thing is, the way they wrote it, you actually, I actually believed when I saw the episode that Tony had fallen in love with Jean. Um, and even when he said goodbye to her and he told her he never cared about her, I believed he was lying. Um, yeah. And I feel like he, he said he told her it was never real for her benefit, not for his own. Um, and it clearly, to me, it looked like it broke his heart. But um, but I think that was actually the worst decision he could have possibly made. I agree. Because all it did 
I mean, what woman wants to be told that after going to bed with somebody? Yeah, I think he, I think that the better thing to done was saying that, yes, I, I did love you, but I mean, I don't know. But things are too broken and it will never work. And I am so fucking sorry for what I did and for how you feel and for the betrayal of it. And if I could do it again, I wouldn't. But instead he told her, I never loved you. Yeah, and it's like they wrote it like they thought he was trying to, he was being kind to her to like let her go or something. But it, I agree, I don't think it was kind to to cut ties that way. That, that wasn't the way to do it. It would have been better to, like you said, to say, yes, it was all real, but it can't be, it can't mean anything. I mean, there's no trusting a man after that. But I, but that, but that's what, she, that's what, what he wanted. Did, deeply disrespectful. It was just another layer of disrespect on top of what he'd already done to her. Yeah. Honestly, it was a Gibbs move. But it was interesting. I thought it was interesting because one of the things I thought was interesting about it from a characterization front, it was bad characterization to have him go down that path. But whoever was in charge of the characterization or whatever, they clearly wanted it to be pushing Tony to the edge to be able to make that step because he didn't want to. That was obvious. Um, he didn't want to sleep with somebody under those circumstances. Um, and then they just put him in the worst possible circumstances over and over and over and over again um, to get him to that point. And it was just like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It was just, it would have been better. It would have been better characterization to have Tony just back off the op and say no. Oh, that's an aspect of I read a fic where he did that, where he said no to the op from the start, and Tim ended up trying to do it. What? Go ahead. No, I, I, I was going to say that it, um, I, I don't have any insight into how, how often, or it, how often um, sex is required in undercover operations in law enforcement in actuality. I have absolutely no insight into that. How often that actually happens. I don't want to know. Um, I don't want to, I'm not sure I want to know either. It probably upset me. But you were saying about Tim actually taking, trying to, oh, well, taking, so, trying to, take, I think this was definitely one of those evil Ziva fix. Anyways, because I like those two. Um, so Tony refuses to do it because he has this team. He's having to manage by himself and Ziva and Tim aren't doing anything and he just can't handle it. And he's like, no, I'm not doing an undercover op because I don't have any backup. And he just, he just says, no, well, she convinces Tim to do it except Tim. So he gets a job in the hospital as an IT professional and ends up uh, creeping her out so much. She almost reports him to HR. Or maybe she does report him to HR. I don't remember, but it's terrible. <laughs> no, 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 no. This was not a quantum bang. I read this years ago. I I read it years ago. Because somehow something happens. And Tony ends up going to the hospital for something else. Um I feel like it was definitely an evil Ziva one. And like, there was like, 
there there are quite a few stories where Tony turns down the op and Ziva, I mean, not Ziva, but Jenny flails about to try to get somebody else. And I know there's more than one where Tim at least attempts the op and usually fails at it. Um, but I don't know about, I, I, I haven't read one where he nearly gets reported HR for being a creep. I mean, all her friends are talking about how he's a creep. I mean, and I, that's all I really remember of it. But then I also read a really interesting e Evil Ziva one where um, she, uh, when when Tony was injured during dead air, she tries to kill him in the hospital. Yeah, that's, I think that, I think that's that Back to Israel fic by Cat's Meow, isn't it? Well, it's the one where, no, it's, it's not dead air. It's ten... Maybe maybe it's a different one. There was a card in the machine that got replaced. Ziva did it and tried to blame Tim. It was, no, it was the one where Tim is driving the car. And no, because Ziva wasn't evil in that. Anyway, you, I don't remember. I, I can't. Are you talking about the one straight. where Tony gets hurt during dead air, and Ziva tampers with his respirator? Yes. Yes. I think, that, I think, that, I think that's on fanfiction.net, but I'm not a hundred percent certain which fic that is. And she makes it look like Tim did it, or Tim, yeah. you know, that it, that it was Tim's thing. Yeah, I think she did multiple. I've read a lot of those evil Ziva fix. <laughs> It's my jam. <laughs> Dude, I'm that same bitch that said it earlier, but I don't read NCIS fix unless. I mean, I don't. Evil Ziva, Ziva. Yeah, <laughs> we talked about getting bored with a certain kind of characterization, and part of the problem with the, with reason why I don't get bored of Evil Ziva is because, um, she just there was just never any reckoning for her character, and she just she was just obnoxious all the way off the show. Not telling Tony about she his baby. She can't even die properly. <laughs> She's the only woman on NCIS they've ever killed that came back. And then, dead. and then she didn't even. And then when she when she turns back up, she tells people, "Oh, you can't tell Tony that I'm alive." Shut up. Although I actually agree. She Please actually don't. said that. Yeah, don't tell Tony or, or Tally that she's alive for whatever. I don't remember why. I didn't watch it. I just read a thing about it. I think she told um, Ellie, Ellie Bishop, Ellie finds her. That's ugly. Like she wasn't bad enough. Apparently somebody keeps trying to kill Ziva, but I just can't figure out who. I mean, Ziva was really pretty ineffectual. So, you know, who is it that's got such a, a, a hard on for killing her that, you know, she has to be on the run all this time? She told yeah, Asma. Yeah, it's like she wasn't very effective at anything she did. So, but you know, maybe that's just the Ziva hate speaking. It could very well be, but I don't discount it at all. But I don't, I don't like her either. So, clearly, I'm not the best person to judge this situation. Well, she was, she was a badass Mossad assassin on paper. Yeah, it never really manifested in a meaningful way. One of the more interesting facts about Boxed In is that 
all those bodies they left behind were Tony's. Yeah, that's canon. She didn't hit anything. Except the bullet bounced around inside the container truck. She even hit him by accident, supposedly. Maybe it's never was really clear if he got hit by the ricochet or if he got hit by those people that were shooting at them. Um, that I don't think that was really all that. Anyway, um, I'm always willing to go with the idea that he got hit by the ricochet because who opens fire in a metal box? A dumbass. It's like it, it, she she was completely panicking. It's like the fact that Tony was the one who was calm was so bizarre. But anyway. None of that. That's that. I don't know. That's honestly, it. I don't know what kind of training she's got, but I think that his calmness makes a lot of sense, considering his history and training. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's supposed to be cool under pressure. He's been in. He's been especially with his undercover background. You don't go undercover undercover with the mob if you can't be cool under pressure. But I just was sitting there. I almost said, but that's not soulmates. It's more like anti soulmates. But then I got to thinking, what if there is such a thing as anti soulmates? What if there are people you are repelled by? That like I have met people on the spot that I could. The moment I met them, I thought, I fucking hate you. You must have been really fucked up to me in a former life. <laughs> I have met people uh, that I instantly react negatively to. And, you know, it's different for everybody, you know, but I definitely have met people that I've like, and sometimes your friends cannot get why, like, why do you, why are you hating on that person? You're like, I don't know. I don't know. I just am. Um, but what if, what if, I'm trying to think of how that would work. If there was like something that happened between some people it's like it's like your souls were awful to each other in some prior life and it's like when you meet it's like there's even laws that protect it that you you don't you can't be within 50 feet of each other <laughs> bad shit happens we need to keep y'all separate it didn't work out last time A karmic restraining order <laughs> you know chris <laughs> i wish that was a thing me too I'd file several right now immediately. Well, I hope I was tasty, Vickage. I'm sure you were. Um, I def The funny thing is, usually those things are not two-way, though. Because I've had people who've had, like, an instant... Um, Eli's emo blog is... Um, Queenies. Queenies. I think that's instant object of stalkering, stalking ishness, etc. etc. Soulmates. You know, one of the things about, one of the things that occurred to me earlier about um, soulmates is soulmates is one of those things that can be very short fic right it can be you can get the whole story done in 10k because a lot of times it is a meet you know get to know each other a little bit bond and it's over um and if you're writing a longer story like in april uh you gotta have a little bit more to it than that yeah our minimum in april is 30k yeah and sometimes that can be a little bit like well, what am i gonna do what am I going to do with my, if it, if it takes me 10 to 15 K to get somebody together and get them 
you know, they meet, they, they get to know each other a little bit, they bond, and then I've got to 15 more K to put together. What do you do? Literally, I'm asking you, what do you do? That wasn't rhetorical, Kira Marie. I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking. But I am reminded of how I set up the gathering in the Sentinels of Atlantis, which, you know, is a Sentinel guide, meet and bond. Um, and then what's next? And it's just like, okay, what's next? Now there's some there's some external conflicts going on in um, in the gathering. Um, Cameron Mitchell is missing. Uh, Vala is missing off world. Um, there's uh, some conflict about how the expedition is going to be run, um, and how that's going to happen. And there's conflicts with the Sentinel God Council because of Cameron. And in that situation, um, and there's John, you know, gathering resources and people to put together a mission that he can feel confident about. So there are lots of external issues going on um, around that um, situation. Elizabeth is um, uneducated in the gathering. Um, and also, if you if you think about what happens to her later in canon well not in canon but in the sentinels of atlantis um she's probably living a very frustrated existence and she doesn't know why and so going to atlantis not only um i mean it changes everything about her life she's got this man who um she loves a great deal and she didn't want to part with um but she has this mission that she that she feels like she has to undertake um there's something missing in her life and she doesn't know what it is. And she's never tested it positive as a Sentinel in any single way. Not, not even as a latent Sentinel. So she doesn't see it coming. So Elizabeth is uneducated, but not evil in Sentinels of Atlantis. She doesn't know what's wrong, but something's been wrong her whole life. Something's been off. And the only good thing she had the only thing that made her comfortable and feel safe was Simon and she was going to leave him behind. So, and that's how I approached Elizabeth um, in Sentinels of Atlantis. But I think that if you're going to do a, like a, a meet, greet, fuck bond situation, you're not going to have 30K. So you do need some, if you're not going to have internal Conflict, you need to have external conflict. Yeah, and that is... I prefer, personally, external conflict to internal conflict, You generally. Because my character is going on an internal angst spiral. is usually not my jam. Depending upon the nature of the internal angst. I have a AU for the Haloverse. Um, where John is a Spartan. And Rodney is an engineer. He is uh, was was in charge of the Spartan program for a very long time, and he's decided that he wants Spartan specifically. He wants John, but he's not going to um, ask for him because he doesn't think it's appropriate. And he had and in that situation, he had too much power. So he Radic made the choice for them, and John gets a series of discs. Um, and this disc in his head, in his implant, will connect him with his engineer. And there is a biochemical response that he's going to have to the disc. And he picks Rodney's disc, but he has no idea that he's picked Rodney's disc. 
um, until he wakes up and Rodney is sitting beside him. And John wakes up and listens to Rodney as he very civilly breaks up with his girlfriend. <laughs> While said girlfriend sits in his lap and talks about how hot his his um his Spartan is. I almost said Sentinel because that's the that's where I got the base of it. Um, and how she's got her eye on a Spartan who's currently in the program, and she hopes that they're a match, and she doesn't know for certain. And Rodney asks her if she wants him to stick around. And um, handle that personally to make sure that everything goes the way it should go, and that her and that the Spartan that she has her eye on um, gets a good transfer, even if it's not with her. Um, and she's like, "No, you know, there are people here. You need to go off and do your thing with your Spartan." So he leaves and goes with John, and um, then they then they separate for a while, and he goes to the SGC, and John goes to visit his family, where he has to deal with his father, who didn't want him to become a Spartan, and his brother, who's appalled by the Spartan program, and his younger brother, Matt, who desperately wants to become a Spartan. And um, then he's doing his thing with his dad, and his, his his brothers and he's trying to get through this and trying to make them understand where he's coming from and he's adjusting to being in their presence and David's adjusting to his brother not being entirely human anymore. All this thing is going on and then Rodney gets lost off world. <laughs> and so I had to put all this external conflict into it because it was game on for both of them the moment they met and it was just the training program that surrounded them that kept them from hooking up pretty much immediately because I think that if John had given him the okay Rodney would have dumped his girlfriend the day they met so it was just like those were those circumstances keeping them apart and then once the circumstances were over it was like oh game on we're here but they actually haven't had sex in that fic yet um, their first sex scene will take place after they get back from the planet that they're currently on but uh at least in my zero draft but the point being is that they i had to have all this external conflict on the outside because there was no conflict to be had between them i mean i could have left the girlfriend in place but no <laughs> i actually it's i personally i don't like it when the external conflict is somebody trying to end a relationship i just i find it really tedious i usually just like to get that over with again i have too many tabs open i think the idea of two people meeting and soulmate bonding and not realizing it is really funny <laughs> that's yeah. a lot of potential but i think it also could be very frustrating so how because if they don't notice it immediately when do they notice and how do you get there i think it also has a lot of potential to cause a lot of pain and and angst and discomfort and i'm not I don't want to write that. I just, um, I want to write things that make me happy. My quantum bang has some darkness in it, but it makes me happy. Yeah, but the darkness is all, well, for the most part, it's, it's external. It's not, you know, your main characters are all trying to build something positive and happy with, to, well, ish, ish. External conflict for the win, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, in, internal conflict often, and this is something that I see in fandom more than I see in professional works, but I do see it in professional works. Specifically, I could point out three that I won't point out because I don't talk about them. But that being said, I will say sometimes authors make them make a mistake in internal conflict and it stops being conflict and becomes toxic. Yeah. Well, and you so create this deeply toxic situation and relationship that is so astronomically unhealthy that no reader should think it, look on it and think of it as romantic. Yeah. Another, one of the most common um, sources of internal conflict in um, fan fiction that I can think of is pining. Um, I find pining to just generally be kind of a snooze fest. It's, I don't mind if somebody is like, like acknowledging, like I've been in love with this guy for 10 years and it's going nowhere. But when it's page after page, after page, after page of pining, it's like, no. Um, Cause I've done that. I've, I've written that where characters getting on with it, you know, they're, they're moving on with life or they're running investigations. And it's just like, you know, I've been in love with this guy for as long as I've known him. Um, it's just a mention and the character's moving on. But when it's just this See, constant here's the thing, that's not how human love works. I don't think anybody could sustain a torch for 10 years. Like a deeply romantic in love with you torch for 10 years that gets no encouragement. That's really deeply mentally unhealthy. Yeah, probably. I mean, at but what point does it become an obsession? But some people, I mean, I have known people who kind of like carry that torch like that. But um, but to just write a character who's just miserable internally. Um, Chris. <laughs> Chris says vanilla relationships are weird. Um, I think people, I think most people who are healthy and have good health, healthy self-esteem and who value their own happiness and emotional health would move on well i think most people are deeply deeply afraid of rejection um but i think fandom takes that fear of rejection to a ridiculous degree like i don't want to ruin what i have by asking for more kind of thing um and so when you get like to 30 40 50 thousand words of pining or internal angst because a character can't admit that they're in love with somebody else it's just I mean, in interim, John loved Rodney, but Rodney got married and he moved on. I mean, he he didn't just waste his life away waiting for Rodney to notice. He just never said anything. Right. And he, and, and he was living his life, doing his thing, dating people and stuff. And then, you know, Rodney got sick and his sister said, come see him because he's not going to make it, you know. And so it wasn't like, because I just don't see... I don't like to write deeply unhealthy relationships like that because I feel like it. I don't want to romanticize that kind of thing. No, I, yeah, I feel you. But I mean, I know people have different, um, you know, everybody has different preferences about these kind of things. So like in Emergence, Tony was, had been in love with Gibbs, but he just recognized that in his mind, there was no hope for it because Gibbs is a dragon and Tony wasn't. And he just had to move on. So he had mentally, but it didn't change the fact that he'd fallen in love with somebody he saw in his mind as being unattainable. But I wasn't going to write, you know, 50,000 words of him pining and angsting after Gibbs 
over something he saw as a lost cause. That's just not the way I prefer to write. Um, it, it's depressing, right? It I mean, it's depressing. just like, ah, oh, can we not? Um, so, so, so when you're doing like, and that's something to consider when you're, when you're writing your, picking your soulmate trope or whatever, and you're deciding if you're going to have internal conflict or external conflict. Mind you, external conflict leads to internal conflict, but, you know, it's one of the things that can be really hard on your pace and hard on your storytelling is when that, that internal conflict is, is on a, it's on repeat. It's lather, rinse, repeat in the narrative. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. The character is afraid of expressing their feelings. And then the next chapter, they're afraid of expressing their feelings. And then the next chapter, they're still afraid of expressing their feelings. And it's just like, was this ever going to get any better? <laughs> Baby, you need to grow a pair. <laughs> need to grow up. Um, do something. I read a story where this one guy is telling his friend that he, you know, he's he's in love with this other guy, but he's afraid to admit it, you know, um, because he doesn't want to lose their friendship if the other guy doesn't love him back. I said, well, if he doesn't love you, are you going to not be friends with him? Like, well, what if he doesn't want to be around me because he knows that I love him? Or like, it's like, so you guys don't think your friendship, and so his this friend's being devil's advocate, and devil's advocate says, so you don't think your friendship is strong enough to survive an awkward conversation? He's like, well, no, it is. He's like, okay, then, you know, woman up and go tell him how you feel. <laughs> I mean, because that's the thing right there. If your relationship, if your friendship isn't good enough, isn't strong enough to weather a conversation like that that goes badly, then why are you so invested in keeping it? Because what you're having actually isn't an illusion of friendship. I mean, I had a friend in college. We were very good friends. Still, We still are very good friends. We don't see each other often because she lives in New York. But one night she hit on me. And we were a little drunk. She was drunk enough to try, right? <laughs> yeah. A little liquid courage. And I was like, baby, no. I'm sorry. And I put her to bed. And um, her own bed. And... Um, Oh, I have a crush on Ruby Rose, so I can't be that straight, straight, straight-ish. I'm just, I really like the dick. That's what it boils down to. I but really that, like to get dicked. But that can be solved. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If Ruby came in, we would need some equipment, and I was single. Anyways, <laughs> as I was saying, I put my friend to bed. And the next morning, we get up. And we're going to breakfast. And she says, are we okay? I was like, yeah, dude, we're fine. She says, are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure I put my hand in your pants. I said, you try, but you were too drunk to succeed. And it's perfectly okay. We're, we're good. <laughs> because we were good friends. You know? Yeah. And she's cutie. But it's just not, it just wasn't ever there. I had budding romantic feelings for somebody once, and um, I think that they could tell at some point. It, I wasn't quite at the point ready. I didn't feel like it was at the point where I was. I was like kind of feeling out myself about it. You know, it hadn't gone on too long, but I think she kind of knew, and she kind of like sort of was like, "It ain't gonna happen." Kind of like, and it, it, we still we stayed friends, but you know what? I moved on because you got some healthy self esteem going on over there. Yeah. 
But I think that that's actually, sometimes I read stuff where there becomes a pervasive trope in what, where what I'm seeing, what, what I'm reading between the lines is unhealthy self-esteem. Like um, the trope where um, a character is treated terribly by everybody around them and then they leave and everybody around them regrets the fact that they're gone and goes and tries to make it up to them. It's like, what am I, what am I seeing here? That's not, I mean, it literally treats them so badly that it's like, why would you ever forgive these people? And what I see in that is this is somebody who's been treated badly, who wants the people who treated them badly to miss them and apologize. And agreed. So I, you know, I might be reading too much there, but it sometimes in some fandoms, it becomes a really big, those kinds of things become really big tropes. Um, or the the exact opposite. Like I once read a dare t- tag where Tony internalized all of it as his problem and his fault. Yeah, that's a bit. And it was his situation to solve because he it was his fault all of it happened. And I'm like, nah, dog, nah. But you do see that in victimology where people blame themselves for what gets done to them. Mm-hmm. This, that they've been taught that it's their fault when, when something happens, um, when something is done to them, they're to blame for whatever it is. That's part of victimology. So yeah, but the thing is, is he never comes out of it in that fic. He works to correct all the problems that were his fault through the whole thing. And I, I, I kept waiting for that moment where he was going to realize that none of it was his fault. It never happened. Yeah. And there is, um, that is a, a, to me, that's a very, can be a very frustrating um, element in, and it, the thing is, it does resonate as true that some people are like this, where they do feel like everything is their fault, uh, and they internalize everything, and even things they have absolutely no control over, like natural disasters are somehow their fault, um, and yet, Let's be honest, that is rooted in childhood abuse. It is. It absolutely is. But I don't typically want to read that in fan fiction. No. And I, I get that sometimes people are working their shit out in fan fiction, and that's fine. There's there is there is fan fiction for everyone. There's a place for everybody to write what they want to write. It's just I think that one of I guess one of the things I try to do when I'm approaching my fan fiction is I try to do it with awareness. So like if I'm working out my issues in my fan fiction, I at least want to know what I'm working out. <laughs> And, and often I don't share those works. Yeah. To be perfectly frank. But yeah, you know, it's like for my November story, I was um You're welcome. <laughs> I was I'm um, messing with you, I'm just messing with you. It, it a little bit well, it was kind of uh, I was a little bit drugged. Well, I was a little bit drugged up after my propofol and fentanyl nap um on Tuesday morning. Um I come home, I'm sore, you know, the drugs are wearing off and I'm tired. And I was kind of like, I had already plotted like four stories for November. And I kind of was like, I had this idea. I was like, you know what? I, I need to put my id in the driver's seat. What, what would that look like if I like took every like trope for a certain fandom that I really liked and put them all together? How many of them could I cram into a single story? And I'm talking to Kira while this is going on. And, um, and I, I was thinking, like, I need, I need, I need a story where these two characters are like just really, like I got two characters who are really just longing for each other, or they really long for the Sentinel guy in their life, or the Shifter in their life, and just kind of this vague notion. And Kira sends me this poem. Um, 
Desiderata by, um, is it Max Ehrman or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so she sent me this poem. And I was like, hmm. It's a fucking gorgeous, beautiful poem. It's a beautiful poem. And I was like, I think my id and that poem are about to have a baby, but I'm going to take a nap and I'll let you know. <laughs> so I went to sleep. <laughs> I went to sleep for a few hours and I woke up and it my, my id gave birth while I was sleeping. I was like, I know what I'm writing in November. Holy crap. But I looked at... um. One of the things I do is when I was like picking the tropes, like, what is this about? Why is this appealing to me? And there are a couple of things I kind of tossed down. Like, that's probably not that healthy. We're taking that one out. Um, because one of the things when your id's in the driver's seat, when you know your id's in the driver's seat, you got to be careful. And I recognize that because sometimes you do wind up working shit out <laughs> in your story. And I, this is, this is nano. It's, it's in public. And um, I don't want to, uh, to work that out in public yeah you know, I you I know. Do that. so i try to do that kind of stuff deliberately but there you know there's a there's a my, my it is very fond of a lot of things that are perfectly fine so um so yeah so that's how i you know settled on what i was good but i have i mean it is a list it is a trope-tastic list of stuff that's gonna be in that story I'm like, I like this and I like this and I'm going to be completely unapologetic about the Super Tony and I'm going to be completely unapologetic about this and that and there's going to be kid fic and there's going to be and I was just like, it's just going to go on and on and on. I mean, literally, I've got like a half a page of written out tropes. Trope, 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 trope. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you which one is actually the official layer because there's so many of them. <laughs> In fact, id fic is actually technically a layer as well. But actually, my my the 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 actually I did pick I did pick my layer, but I'm gonna I'm gonna let it be a surprise because I haven't I'm not gonna tell anybody what it is. It's it's not obvious in anything I've posted so far. The what the sneaking surprise will be. But yeah, first I guess actually the official title will be first gentleman, but Tony's gonna shoot that down hard. <laughs> the first guide. He's gonna shoot that down hard too, because somebody's gonna suggest he'd be no. I think. I mean, I just think technically it, it would be first gentleman, wouldn't it? It is first gentleman. That actually is the. Um, that is it. It's first gentleman, but also first spouse and first. And actually, in some countries where the, they're not married, first partner is used. So at first, he'll be first partner, which sounds. Like, like he could like, be one of many in a line. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, so first to be first partner, and Isabel's got something to say about that, that he needs to be the first spouse. <laughs> Hello. There's going to be babies. Well, or a little kids. girl. Kids. She's, not, she's, not, she's not a baby. She's like five. But I, this is something I didn't know. I didn't know the first lady had to be, I didn't know the first lady had to be, um, does not have to be the president's spouse spouse actually uh, there um, was a daughter that was the first lady because yeah it, it can be a family member which i did not know because i just had never paid attention to that sort of thing i forget whose daughter it was i know i know right it, it does first partner does think of law firm it made me laugh first partner but that's actually in wikipedia sometimes it's first spouse and if they're not married first partner is the is the preference but yeah he's gonna somebody's gonna hear first gentleman he's gonna go no no <laughs> It does remind me of that scene in the only episode I watched of um, Designated Survivor where 
he's being sworn in as president and his wife is in the next room and she's trying to figure out her work schedule and she's yet to realize that she is now the first lady of the United States and that's her new job. Yeah. That her life is over as she knows it and she doesn't know it yet. And you can see that it's not, it's not even computing on her face, but I never watched the rest of that. Cause I, I, I think it actually, one of the things I think is just really just, fucking annoying is the sheer amount of work that the first ladies are expected to do and they don't get paid right the fuck is up with that it's kind of ridiculous okay so lady holder said provided the link for the whitehouse.gov that's harriet lane um harriet rebecca lane johnston acted as first lady of the united states or hostess for her uncle james buchanan who was a lifelong batch bachelor so yep I thought it was I thought it was the daughter, but I guess it was the niece. Niece, but I'm gonna have until Tony comes along. The the, the first lady is effectively um, Ethan's mother. That's charming, mom. You have to live in the White House. Well, I guess if I must, <laughs> he's a single father. Mom has to live in the White House anyway. Yeah, the first nanny. <laughs> Tony should call her Secret Service agent that. Because she's got one, right? Because she's a little kid. Where's your nanny? Now Secret, I gotta make a note of that. Secret Prefer service agent, nanny. sir. How are, you, how are you liking your nanny? <laughs> your manny. Should we get you a new one? Is he entertaining on the drive to school? S same, Sachi. Same. 100% same. <laughs> so... But he could have been lifelong asexual. And we don't talk about it. Because back then, that would have been just as bad. So you were right. It, it, uh, Starlight just found that there have been at least 13 people who are not the wives that served a first lady when the president okay. was a bachelor or whatever. Okay. Or when the wife was unable to fulfill the duties of first lady. But the thing is, how can they say she actually has official duties they don't pay her? Right? I'd be rebelling. I'd be like, what? Congratulations. Your husband's not the president of the United States. This is your new job. You won't be paid. Be like, this is not the Salvation Army asshole. Give me a paycheck. Sorry, was that political? <laughs> it was both political and religious, but I get it. I'm totally on board with it. But yeah, here's the question. It is unpaid labor since she's female, but what happens when we get a first husband? Is there going to be a discussion of a salary? There probably will be, yeah. Everybody's like, probably, yeah. Probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we can't expect him to give up his career and not get paid. He's a man, after all. We are so far away from soulmates. Does anybody have any questions or ponderings or anything about soulmates before we go, I don't know, wherever else we're going to go? I'd be very curious. I'm, I am leaning towards a grow into soulmate kind of thing. Like, just the idea that John and Rodney have been on Atlantis for a couple of years and Maybe, you know, they're just sitting out there on the pier having a beer. Because that's a thing. That's practically a trope in Stargate. Um, yeah. it should. It, if it isn't, it should be. And Roddy just turning to him saying, you know what? I think I'm in love with you. And John would be like, I know. <laughs> and then he gets pitched off the pier because he called solo to Roddy. And Roddy's not going to allow that. <laughs> It could also you could also take an approach like um, 
you know, one of them's having a bad day and the other one knows that he needs a beer on the beer on the pier, a beer on the pier. I do not like that rhyming. It makes me feel like I got something wrong. So he knows he needs a beer on the pier and he just shows up with a six pack and hands him a beer. And the first, the first color of the soulmate rainbow appears, you know, like the first thread, red thread. Let's, say the, that, let's, let's say the red thread, whatever it is. Yeah. Say the red thread is first. Um, and they're like, Oh, hello. <laughs> You know, it, it's just all of a That's sudden it's unexpected, that, buddy. It's like all of a sudden that moment, and then you know, John or Rodney or whoever goes. Well, I was having a bad day, but I don't know. It looks like things are looking up <laughs> because this whole thing can't be one-sided. If we just if we got this red thread, I think we should go out of date <laughs> instantly. Orange thread and bang. Oh. <laughs> So, like, what if, okay, what if, say, the Durans survive? I want to make note of Ellie, Ellie's question before we, I want to sort of copy it off before we go. Okay, go ahead. Okay. What if, say, the Durans survive and um, Bilbo is in um, the Dale. He's, like, with the humans because he doesn't want to go back to the mountain. Um, he's never going back to the mountain as far as he's concerned. Fuck all that and fuck all them. I'm done. I'm going home. Um, I need a pony. <laughs> A small one. My Very size. Nice. Bard. <laughs> I need one my size. <laughs> so they're looking for a little pony, which is going to take a while. <laughs> and maybe... Oh, Bilbo look what Starlight says. <gasps> oh. A garden tattoo. Love that. And maybe Thorin comes down to the village to apologize. But Bilbo's having none of it. And he's like, I don't, I don't know. I'm... I, I know you were crazy, and I'm that, that's fine. I forgive you. I already told you I forgive you, but I'm not living in your dumb mountain. <laughs> I'm going home to the Shire <laughs> and get my fucking silverware back from Lobelia. I don't have time for you. <laughs> but then he's got something going on. You know, he has a little tattoo forming, or there's he's seeing strings out of the corner of his eye, and he's like, God damn it. To go to the Shire and get silverware. My silverware is very important to me, Thorin. <laughs> and that heifer's got them. I know she does. She has my spoons. I need my spoons. Thor Thorin's the gallant Thor who's going to go and get. Uh... <laughs> All right, I'll get your spoons. <laughs> I'll I'll send a letter, and Gimli will get you all of your things from the Shire, and he will bring them here, including your spoons. No way. And he I'll send these to the Shire. <laughs> she will get all of your things, including your spoons. <laughs> and I want my hope chest and my hankies. And my doilies. And my doilies. <laughs> and my mother's china. You can just see him fussing all the way back up to the mountain. Thorin has him by the arm and he's guiding him back into the mountain. And Bilbo's not even paying attention because he's too busy bitching about all the things that he does not have and expects to have. If he's going to live in Thorin's dumb mountain. And by the time he gets finished listing all these things. And Thorin agreeing to every bit of it as he goes along. Hopefully he's brought Ori with him to take notes. Um, they're at the mountain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I do not think he would send Nori to get the spoons. That is like a, that was like potential relationship ending decision. Because <laughs> Nori would not bring the spoons back. <laughs> um. 
So Ellie mentioned triad soulmates and navigating the bond. I actually think, I think about triad soulmates. I think it'd be difficult to do in a bond, a bond that grows over time kind of thing. Because I think that unless they all met, and I think it'd be difficult. It, it's, it would strain the suspension of disbelief to have them all meet at the exact same moment. So I think what you typically, what you would have is you would have like a soul mark. It's the way it would work the best. It's like, you've got two of two people have met. They've already got a soul mark and they meet their third and the soul mark changes. Um, or they get a partial, they each have a part of a soul mark and they know there's going to be a third. I think there'd have to be some sort of make it obvious that they're waiting for a third person. But I think if you're doing that kind of the bond grows, I think that would be hard to do just because if you've already got two people who are in a soulmate bond, how does a third person penetrate that? It gets, it would create an imbalance. It seems like it'd be a recipe for hurt feelings. And jealousy. Yeah. Resentment. So I would probably do it that it was really obvious that there was going to be a third so that they were expecting it. Um, Cause I would imagine two are going to meet before the third one comes along. Um, I've seen the AU where you don't see color at all until you meet your soulmate. And the only one that ever really made sense to me was the one where Bilbo didn't know what colors were until he met Thorin. But then he also had a book in his house that he went to and it had all the colors listed and examples of what the colors looked like and what they are with labels on them. So that when he got his vision, color vision, he knew what the colors were. Because there's nothing more jarring than having a person who lives in a black and white world immediately recognize every color they've never seen before upon meeting right. their soulmate. Right, they meet their soulmate and they go, oh, blue eyes. It's like, how do you know his eyes are blue? That could be green. That could be green. How the fuck do you know that's blue? That could be you orange don't. for all you know. All you, and, and honestly, I actually find the whole concept, I'll be honest, I mean, I've read it, but I actually find the concept depressing. That you live in a colorless world until you meet your soulmate. I just, I just find it just depressing. I guess it's because so much of our language is around color. Um, You'd be like living in Kansas all your life and only getting to go to Oz once you meet your fucking soulmate. Like, where have you been? <laughs> Do you see how I'm dressed? Oh, so you're saying you're just missing one color? Hmm. It's it's a con. I find I find. Seems like an it's it's a some soulmate concepts. I guess part of my my resistance to them is they seem needlessly complicated. It's already complicated enough in the world building and how you make a soulmate world work. That like when you have countdown timers and stuff, and um, I think that's part of my resistance to them. Or or just like you 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 see all colors but one until you meet your soulmate and. It's like, why? I can think to myself, if someone's a real dick. <laughs> Whoever thought that was a good idea is a real dick. But I mean, I just seriously, why? What is the, what is the, at least with a countdown timer, I understand the mech, the why of it. But what is the rationale behind, um, what's the rationale behind, oh, Octarine? Every time I see Octarine come up in a story, I just kind of go, my huffing could be heard all the way around the world. Um, Our alternate selves just sit up and go, is she mad? Right? 
<laughs> it's time for another margarita. <laughs> you mad, bro? <laughs> Yeah, I I guess it's just when I'm going to in, in, insert something, I guess I kind of just for myself, I want to know why. And I would have to, if I was going to use a, a device like you don't see, you see all but one color until you meet your soulmate, I would, I would have to, I would have to for myself know why. And I can't come up with anything off the top of my head. I'd have to ponder it. I'll probably wake up at 3 a.m. with an answer because that's the way it usually works for me. What I would say about the idea of living in a black and white world and only getting color when your soulmate, when you meet your soulmate, it seems like, well, it's kind of like, okay, here you are, but you're not really a complete person. You're not a whole person and you don't have all your abilities because you're waiting on somebody else to give them to you. So you're just going to have to make do what you got. And maybe one day you'll get really lucky and you'll meet your soulmate. And then you'll be a real life complete human being. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't either. But then there's that whole Plato thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the split the apart. Yeah. Two halves of the same whole. Now, <laughs> one of the things that we, we talked about mentioning before the podcast and never came up was the was the Force Dyad in the new Force in the new Star Wars trilogy, where Ray. Skywalker, that's the name she takes to the end of the um, trilogy, and Ben Solo are a dyad in the Force, which means the Force sees them as one person. They are one person in the Force, but they are individuals physically. And I I like the idea of the dyad. I think it's really interesting. Um, I like the idea of soulmates. I think it's really interesting. Um, I don't like the idea that my character isn't a complete person before they meet their soulmate. No. I think a soulmate, I think a soulmate should be more of a mirror. A deeply compatible person or persons um, who adds something to your life that could be missing, but not like I prefer a puzzle piece over a missing piece. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think the appeal, yes, absolutely, because it's sort of like somebody who compliments you as opposed to somebody who completes you. It's just a little bit different approach because it's, there's something, um, one of the things that I think that the reason why things like Sentinels and Guides and Soulmate Tropes and all that kind of stuff is appealing is because I think it, it removes the uncertainty about trusting somebody else, right? But I don't like the idea of free will being taken away. I don't like the idea of our actions don't matter because ultimately, you know, we're just going to be where we're going to be. I don't like the idea that I'm not a complete person on my own. But there is something that feels very comforting about the idea that you meet this person who's your soulmate. And um, it's almost like a relationship shortcut, right? In a way. And from a writing perspective, you are shortcutting a lot of things because you conceivably, unless you're writing a lot of angst, right? You've met somebody who is, who is your perfect counterpart who should be ideal for you. And in a Sentinel guide world, um, it is somebody that you can, you, you would know immediately if you can trust this person, which allows you to shortcut a lot of the relationship building. Um, 
which I think is part of why it's an appealing trope. It's both the trust issues and and it it makes relationship development go faster. I mean, those of us who are inclined towards um, intimate romantic relationships do seek out someone who um, is a good fit for them politically, religiously, mentally. I mean, emotionally, sexually. That's that's how you get there, right? I mean, you have to have all these things in a row. And I think if e- any kind of relationship that you have has to have those things in a row, whether, okay, we're going to have sex or we're never having sex. And we agree on this right now. We're never having sex. <laughs> right? Fundal- yeah. Fundamental down. Checked off. Okay. This is my religion. What's your religion? Are we cool with this? Is this fine? Okay, great. Um, this is your political. Pro- what? Your what? Not dog. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, it depends. <laughs> I'm not totally kidding. I wouldn't date a fucking Republican if my life depended on it. Okay. Um, and But then you, you have to get all these things in a row, right? Me and my husband have been together since um, the late 90s. And we could have an entire conversation with just a look. We're not allowed to be partners at, at games. Because people think we cheat. <laughs> Do you? Well, no, but I don't have to because if I'm sitting across from him and we're playing spades and he's and and he bids six and gives me that look, that motherfucker does not have six. He's just playing a head game, right? So I have to bid two because I've got four and there's no way in hell we have eight together. Mm-hmm. So I underbid to compensate for his for his literal trash talk, <laughs> and people assume because that happens a lot that you know. But when you've been together as long as we've been together, if you couldn't have a conversation with your partner with a single look after this many years, maybe you need to work on your relationship a little bit. That's what I'm saying. You know? Well, I mean, I I used to play this game with them. I can't remember what it's called. But it's a game where you're trying to get your partner to guess the the word on the card, right? And, um, like, let's say let's say you and I were on opposite teams and we wanted the people we were our, the, our people on our team to guess the word. Sorry saying is taboo. No, no, it's not taboo. Is it kind of like a $25,000 pyramid? No. Okay. You and I would, you and I would bid. I would say I can get my partner to guess this word in six, with six words of clue. And you would say, I can get them to guess it in four. And I would say, I can get them to guess it in three. And you could say, I can get them to guess it in two. And I would say, okay, Get them to guess it. So it's that kind of thing, right? And then you only get two words to give them the clue of what the word on the card is because that's what you bid. And if they don't guess it, you lose and I get the point. So I played with this couple who was like that. And they had the most, because they'd been together so long, we could never let them play on the same team because they could always underbid us, right? Because I would say it would take me eight words to be able to get you to guess the word serendipitous. And they'd go, oh, I can get them to guess it in one. And then they would just throw off some weird word that was like the name of a hotel they went to, where the first word they said when they were at that hotel was serendipitous. And I mean, it's because they have so much history that they were unbeatable at this game if they played on the same team. So we had to always split them up. Yeah. Always. Because that's how well they knew each other, because they had just that much history and they knew each other that well, that when it comes to games where you have that kind of deep knowledge of one another, they couldn't be beat. It is, it is, it deep- is, it is deeply romantic. I cannot remember what that game is called. I don't even think they make it anymore. But um, 
yeah, you just it, it is just a kind of you two the, at least it's at least two teams and you bid on I can you know take me eight eight words to get her to guess that word. And then you compete. <laughs> it, because because it is a bidding thing, you know. It's terrible. People get hyper competitive. And it's like and then you start arguing over is is an article or word or not. <laughs> yes, it's a word, you asshole. You can't say the I don't, I don't know how I feel about the being a word against you, though. But, like, serendipity, my first thought was Ben Affleck, because there was that stupid movie. But I don't think it was actually called serendipity. But if I said that, my husband would probably guess it. Guess Ben Affleck? Yeah. Or vice versa. We can't play Pictionary either together as a team. Yeah, sometimes you just gotta split up the married couples. You just gotta. It's called. Hey, what's this game called? Apples or something? It's called. Oh, the game is called 25 Words or Less. That's the game I was just talking about. It's called 25 Words or Less. And like I said, I don't. Yeah, know. apples to apples. We're not allowed to play apples to apples together either. Well, cards, cards against humanity in my family is a fist fight waiting to happen. Let's just be honest. <laughs> I've, Our pistols at dawn. I've played, I've played cards. And I actually. Um, I like playing cards against humanity with married couples who are competitive with each other, but married couples who are trying to help each other cheat. No, thank you. Because they try to, you can tell they're trying to guess which one is their partner's response. They can vote well, for the thing them. Is, is like, I know my husband really, really well. So I would probably be able to guess his response every single time. Right. But if it's not fucking funny, I ain't voting for, it. you know, it's like, right. I, I'm when it comes to cards against humanity, I'm a hard ass. If your answer isn't funny, you don't get the vote. If you didn't make me laugh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and if nobody made me laugh, I don't feel like anybody should get a point, but I'll pick the person who was at least somewhat clever. <laughs> or, that wasn't even funny. Or who used that card. With that, What's that card about Daniel Radcliffe's asshole? That one? Um, <laughs> that story about that person who got him to sign that card and how so he'd always wanted somebody to ask for his autograph on that card and nobody ever had. I thought that was so cute. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's I think that that, that that deeply, it is that deeply romantic, that sense of knowing is why um, it's why soulmate thing is, is so appealing. It's why it's such an appealing trope. Um, but there's, there, there are people who are really into kind of like trope subversion who want to, you know, write something completely different. They want to write soulmates as being an awful thing or whatever. And that's fine. Um, I'm not going to read it, but yeah, it's fine. You do you, Boo. It's always sad when Boo's not here when I say that. <laughs> it loses something, doesn't it? There's somebody, somebody who thought when I say you do you, Boo, that I'm actually being bitchy when I say that. I'm not. It's like, literally, you do what you want to do. Um, that's fine, because it really is fine. There's a place for every, There's a place for every trope under the sun. But it's also okay that I don't read that kind of thing. And I'm also not going to plot that kind of thing, because that's not the... Why would I put myself through those kinds of mental gymnastics? To do something you don't like. Right. I plot the tropes I enjoy reading. Which is why you're not going to catch me typically plotting something that's extremely dystopian. It's just... No. I don't like to read dystopia as a rule, so I'm definitely not going to write it. 
because you know honestly i can make myself cry when i'm not doing something terrible so why would i be... <laughs> i can make myself cry doing something really sweet <laughs> so why would i purposely write something that's gonna make me cry for days upon days upon days upon days i'm sensitive y'all she's a fragile little blossom or something like that I did make myself cry though recently because you fell down the stairs. Well, yeah, but also writing. <laughs> you made me cry with your writing too. Oh, That's what you get for being my alpha reader. I called <laughs> I called you names and everything. It's not to your face. Oh, it's okay. Now you have. I was laying in bed and I called you a heifer. Oh well, you know. I was like I was sniffling. And I'm, I was, I was flailing. I about, might have earned it. I was flailing about for a tissue with that heifer. I mean, you think it? You think that's bad? Wait till the first word happens, dude. <laughs> I mean, you, it has to come, right? It does have to come. I, I feel like I already want to hurt you. Anyway, oh, don't worry. It'll be at the very end of book three. It's called Bards Dispense Profanity. Shakespeare version of Cards Against Humanity. <laughs> I um I had some friends who got the Harry Potter version of Cards Against Humanity, which actually is not an official version. It is something that's an unlicensed thing that somebody did. Um, honestly, I I really do not recommend it. It it we actually had to pull way too many cards out because there was no way to put those cards together with anything that didn't come off as a pedophilia joke. Oh, gross! It was. It was just. It was awful. It was like, how do you? I mean, there was like. It was several. Like we did this with Cards Against Humanity too, because there are sometimes um, there are a couple of cards that are just. I don't think they should be in the deck at all. Um, one of them are just. You know, if you're sensitive, plug your ears. But the card in Cards Against Humanity about coat hanger abortions, I don't think is funny. <gasps> yeah. So we always pull that card out and tear it up. Um. So, but in Harry Potter, in the Harry Potter one, there's all of these things that there's just no way to put those card, that card, that, that those white cards together, with anything that doesn't come across like a pedophilia joke or joke about pedophilia. It's just not funny. And so, um, I mean, after like we played for several hours, and we must have pulled ten or fifteen cards from the deck, and it just so, it, sometimes it was so hard to put together anything that was remotely funny because it just somebody's sense of humor really ran to the appalling when they put together that deck and they also didn't construct the deck very well. Cause sometimes there was just no way to construct an answer. It's just, I, if you ever run across that version against cards, get humanity, save your money. Definitely gross. Don't, don't give those assholes money. Um, yeah. One thing we didn't talk about was like a book of souls or a soul orb where you're just told who your soulmate is. Hey, this is your soulmate. Check it out. Oh, you know, and it's because I usually associate those with Harry Potter, but okay, so let's talk about that quickly. About how would you do that in a world that doesn't have Harry Potter? Um, well, I would not do the Book of Souls without Harry Potter. Uh unless you wanted to do like a magical realism verse that you had to build your own world building on, which I would not want to do. Um, I guess you could do it in the Dresden Files or Charmed. Yeah, it could exist for a book. Or for a book, yeah, yeah. Sabrina, Sabrina, Buffy. I think I think you could put the Book of Souls in any paranormal fandom and make it work. Um, 
I think you could do like a soul orb sort of thing um, in the MCU. Yeah. Pretty easily. Mm -hmm. um, because there's magic in the MCU. Um, I agree. I agree. Is it Nemesis? Is that, am I pronouncing that right? Nemesis? It's just a. Um, okay. Shadow Hunters, you could do an orb, soul orb, soul stone, soul book, book of souls, whatever. I think, I don't know why, but for Shadow Hunters, I'd be kind of gravitate towards like a soul stone, like a freaking tablet because parallels. Um, um, like Percy Jackson would be another one where I think you could get away with a soul orb or a soul stone or even a book of souls. Um, maybe that was gifted to Earth by Zeus. Um, with the ancients in Stargate, you could do a device. Um, what would be really interesting, now there is a series written by Tarlin. And Tarlin wrote this series where Atlantis rejected everybody that didn't have ancient DNA and sent them back through the gate to Earth. Yeah, I'm I'm getting there. And Rodney got to stay because he had ancient DNA in him. Oh, he had sex with John before he went to Atlantis, huh? Yeah. I have yeah. not I don't think I've read this, but it's by Tarlin. And um eventually they come from Earth in a ship and try to gain access to the um um, city, but she's like, nah, dog, I'm, I'm, I'm not about it. Um, you're, you're not welcome here. Um, but I remember one of the funniest moments in that thing is when they're on Earth discussing, and they were like, it was, yeah, it's the, it's the sentient series. Now there is some consent issues in that for me a little bit because the city um, kind of compels them to make babies. So be aware. Let's. Well, oh, it is actually on. Um, AO3. Um, but uh, there's a scene on, on on Earth where Kavanaugh is in a meeting and they were all like, well, if only people with ancient DNA got to stay, why was Rodney allowed to stay? And he goes, because he probably had an ass full of semen mm -hmm. or something along those lines. Um, and everybody is aghast. <laughs> They're like, oh, how dare you say it was really funny. Tarlin, <laughs> He's bitter as fuck. Tarlin has written 458 Stargate Atlanta stories. Tarlin is prolific. Oh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even know how to begin to find a story in that. I applaud you, Willow. Lucentius um, is actually probably one of their more popular works. Well, Tar I'm familiar with Tarlin from, from their, their, their X-Files works, um, which is a very small part of their... Um, catalog, so, actually. So, 458 Atlantis, four, 145 Magnificent Seven, I read their 104 Seven. Eureka, 68 Stargate SG-1, and 57 X-Files. Those are the big ones. So, currently, they appear to be writing um, Mag Magnificent Seven. Chris Larrabee, Vin Tanner being one of their pairings. I'm a big I'm a, I'm a big Tarlin fan, but Sentience is probably one of the first big series I read in Stargate. Well, Mag Seven is the most recent, but also in July was Eureka and mm -hmm. Stargate Atlantis, and that's a big multi crossover. 
Eureka, Mag 7, Stargate. Oh, V, the original series, the original movie series. Wow. That part, but you're right. She, uh, Elizabeth does try to sleep with Jack O'Neill before they arrive, so that she can, you know, get on the city. Um, but Jackson was already in his bed. <laughs> but yeah, Tarlin is 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 good stuff. I obviously have not read all of their work. I had no idea they had this much. I didn't know they had a lot because they used to have their own site that was set up like race bait. It was like using that e-fiction software. Um, yeah, if you've got so much work that you need, you need your own software. That's most of they write Riddick too. I'm looking for the Riddick stuff. Chris says I keep falling off the chat, but I thought she said I keep falling off my chair. I was like, well, we can get a belt. <laughs> you put the seatbelt on your chair. <laughs> you start wiggling around. But uh, yeah, I've not obviously read all of it. She also wrote a story where John saves or Rodney. John saves David Hewlett's character who was in Cube, or maybe Boa. I can't remember. Anyways, um, of course, uh, is, is is that what it is? I mean, obviously, I read Tarlin a very long time ago. Um, but I read Sentience on um on Wraithbait before they had before they had the is it a she? I've been saying they because I don't know. But you guys keep saying she. Cause I honestly thought Tarlin was a man for a very long time. I I, I don't know why I think she I, I but I know that that impression goes back to my my beginnings in fandom, which is when I first encountered Tarlin during reading writing X writing X Files way back in the day. But could be wrong. I don't know. Survivor. So Rodney McKay is the character in Survivor that David Hewlett played originally. Yeah, I remember this. I remember this. Um, good stuff. But mind the warnings. She's very good about warnings, so just pay attention. But the crossover fic is Architects of Fate. By Tarlin, and it is also on AO3. Be really interesting. I wrote a fic. Um, it's called Dimensional Shift, where Ro where John, blah blah blah, where Harry uses a spell to find his soulmate because the version of Draco on his world was killed. Draco Malfoy was killed in his world, and the Book of Souls told him that Draco Malfoy was his soulmate. Um, and so he travels from one dimension to another using a spell, trying to find the Draco Malfoy that is his soulmate, because the record in his book on the in, was still active. So he had a soulmate out there, right? Um, so he keeps looking and looking and looking, and finally he finds him. Um, it'd be really interesting to write a story where a, about a character like John moving through dimensions with ancient technology. Trying to find the right Rodney McKay. Because the Harry Potter one's kind of angsty. But you could write it. <laughs> or it's mostly pornographic. <laughs> it's called Dimensional Shift. Corsa. And I don't actually know if it's still up on... If it's still online. I don't remember. Um, I took a lot of my Harry Potter work down earlier in the year. And I'm not. That's not a Harmony fix. So I don't think I 
check it down, but I'm not entirely sure. So I'm sorry in was advance it, if you can't it, find it. Was it EAD? I don't, I, I, it was on my website for a very long time, but then I took stuff off my website and didn't put it on EAD. So yeah, I don't I, know. I remember, I remember Pale Horse used to be on your website, but I didn't know if you'd ever moved those, those previews to EAD or not. I think I took all my sneak peeks down because people kept bitching about me having sneak peeks up when I say that I only put completed works on my site. Yeah, you d you did take them off your site, but I didn't know if you'd move them. No, no, it, no, it wasn't done. It was hell and gone, not done. Um, basically, what I posted was about half of what I plotted. Anyways, <clears throat> but just the idea of a character traveling through dimensions looking for their soulmate is is an is an intriguing one. That having all these versions of the same person, but them not being the right person. That it's not just about. Rodney McKay. It's about the specific Rodney McKay. Actually, it sounds very frustrating to me. <laughs> it was very interesting to write. I enjoyed it. I feel frustrated just thinking about it. <laughs> so it was Dimensional Shift was Harry Potter? Or... Yeah. Yeah, it was Harry Potter. It was Harry Draco. So if it's gone, it's because I took it down because it was a sneak peek, not because I purged it because of the Harmony crap looking to see i'm looking at all the harry potter works right now but i took it out i'm pretty sure i took down all my sneak peeks um because people were assholes about it um did off your site i remember that but i i didn't know if you'd ever move them or not dimensional shift was probably too big to move to the community the ead community mm. you, you think it's on the ead it would have to be several pieces it was pretty big. Um, and there is a word limit on DreamWiz. It is not on EAD. I just looked through all of them. It's not there. If, no, if, I only have two um, Harry Potter on EAD right now. And that's um, Jenny is a Bad Wheezy and Dragon Rising. I love Jenny. I thought Bad Wheezy. <laughs> it amuses me. The title alone is perfect. <laughs> I don't know if I could ever rename it, which is terrible because it's not a great title for an actual story, but it does amuse the shit out of me. Yeah, I figured it was a working title, but sometimes those things just get stuck because now I always think of that as the... As, but I mean... But the thing is, it's a really terrible because the, the fig is actually quite heavy and the title is... It's cracky. Crack. It's sort of like Big A11 yeah. Canada, which I can never remember the actual name of. Yeah. Me neither, because it, it's it's just big gay love in Canada, and they're only in Canada for a few minutes. <laughs> well, they're actually in Canada for quite a few years, but on screen they're only in Canada for half a chapter, <laughs> and yet. So I try not to give my work working tiles anymore because of that. Right, it's really hard to get past them. I'm still like the. The, the series that starts with React, I still think of it as the Come to Jesus series, and I can't call it that because people think it's about religion because they don't get that. Some people don't get that term. True. Very true. One of my favorite shows is set in Canada. Which is, you know, Dark, it's actually sad that there are so few show canons set in Canada since so many of them are filmed in Canada. Right? One of my favorite shows is Murdoch Mysteries, and it's set in Canada. True. 
I've never written. I don't really have a particular urge to write Murdoch mysteries, though. No. It's good the way it is. I think if I'd only watched the movies, I might have been interested in writing in it. But the series is so fleshed out and interesting. It, it isn't. Yeah. So I, I feel I feel about that the same way I do about Val about um Babylon Five. I, I don't have anything to bring to that table. I don't have nothing there. But in terms back going back, I was looking at the things I'd copied off. But in terms of soulmate tropes, the person I don't remember who mentioned it. Um, Starlight Knight mentioned it. Um, the idea that you you like have like the beginnings of a tattoo, and that when you meet your soulmate, that it starts to grow. I, they mentioned it in context of Bilbo. I really like that idea because you could apply that to anything. You've just got this little, everybody got this little germ of a tattoo. And that when you meet the right person, and maybe, maybe the, if, if it's not stops working out, it, it could shrink. Like, oh, okay, this isn't working out. Boy, that could be depressing though. It's sort of like, that'd be like the unkudos button. Remember we talked about how depressing an unkudos, <laughs> unkudos could be? Your tattoo shrinking could be really depressing. You're like, oh my god, is our relationship not working out? <laughs> what the hell's going on with my tattoo? Well, your mom's a real asshole. That could be the problem. I met my mother, and now I just now my tattoo's back to being an acorn. <laughs> the tree's gone. I had I had an oak tree, and now I've got an acorn. And that's just because he met the Sackville Bagginses. Damn <laughs> <laughs> those Sackville Bagginses. <laughs> But we, we were talking about that on podcast one day about how we wish there was an unkudos button because you get to this part in the story where you're like, oh my God. But I unkudos you. <laughs> but <laughs> I can't take my kudos back. Or you accidentally give kudos on something that you would never in a million years give, give kudos on. That's why you don't read logged in. <laughs> right? Because you're like, you're trying to get out of the story and instead you give kudos. You kudo it. Um, which has happened to me several times. But. Um, damn mouse clicks but anyway um we, we were talking about how demotivating that could be like you post a chapter and all of a sudden your kudos all go down like to start disappearing because people use it as some sort of weird reward system like oh how dare you make this decision i like i take back my kudos and then the next chapter you get it back and it's like <laughs> <laughs> it would be actually traumatizing i do think if they had an unkudos button that you shouldn't be allowed to recudo a story later Right, that you've unkudoed, yeah. But I have. There have been, there have been times when I have foolishly been reading a work in progress, and I because anytime I start reading a work in progress, I feel like it's foolish. It usually backfires on me. But where I've, you know, stupidly kudoed it early on, where I really, really, if I was an asshole, I'd leave the comment. I unkudo you. <laughs> I unfriend you. <laughs> if we were friends on Facebook, I would unfriend you. What the hell is this shit? I unfollowed you on Instagram. <laughs> I followed you on Instagram and then I unfollowed you just so that you would know I was unhappy. <laughs> Can you imagine friending somebody just so you could unfriend them? <laughs> I can be quite spiteful, so yes. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> there are there are days when I do have to like step away from my computer because I really do try not to no matter no matter how upset I get about something or what shenanigans an author's done, I try to, I'm not, I'm like, I'm not going to leave a shitty comment. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and I have to get up and walk away because it's like, how dare you? How dare you? 
how dare you kill the main character of the story without disclosing major character death? How dare you? Just next time you encounter that, just put bless your heart in a comment box and hit set. And honestly, I don't have to say anything because what I usually do in those situations is I go down and I look and 50 people have already said it. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I want them abusing that author, but sometimes that's what gets me through. Ellie, you little weirdo. (laughs) Ellie says, can you imagine the kid who hits the showers after the game and sees a tattoo forming around his dick? I don't know why you went there. And he's trying to figure out who he had contact with on the field. Girl. I mean, if he's playing football, yeah, who didn't he have contact with? And if it was like soccer or um, rugby or cricket, I mean... The thing is, I actually, it is my head can. If I was going to do a soul mark thing, soul marks appear with contact, I would think you'd be aware of it when it happened. And both of you would be aware of it. And you would both be stopping and clutching at your dick and going. And so you would know. You would know. And I would be asking myself, what is it about this person? That- why are our marks appearing? And everybody would be like, why are there marks appearing on their dick? And your parents would be very judgy of both of you. It's like a normal person's mark appears on their arm or their back, maybe their chest. Your uncle Robert, you know, who we don't talk about, <laughs> his mark appeared on his knee. <laughs> and he hasn't been to family dinners in 10 years. How are we going to, how are you going to explain this? When your kids want to see your soul mark, what are you going to say? Huh? Huh? <laughs> kids, you, I don't have any control over it, mom. It's your penis. I don't man. even want kids. Did you notice we both have dicks? Who oh, exactly? What kids are we worried about? <laughs> man, that'd be a moment your soul mark appears with some kind of collar. You'd be like, oh my God. I'd be flipping who, out. Who the fuck are you? Good night, Susan. What the fuck do you think you're going to do to me? Think you're going to do to me. I'd be like finding the I'd be like finding the nearest pillow or something and chasing that person around and whacking them going, what is the matter with you? <laughs> Why are you like this? This is how your mark appears on my body. There's something wrong with you. Like deeply, profoundly wrong. And he's like, no, no, I just have a neck kink. What does that mean? I'm a werewolf and I think your neck is hot. Oh, okay. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> You're a what? You're a what now? Look a what? Okay. Someone asked me the other day what that's from. There was a terrible commercial in the 90s about these two babies. And it was like they were boyfriend and girlfriend, but they were babies. And (laughs) she's fussing on him about hanging out with Brittany, who she says is a milkaholic. And Brittany goes, Milka, what? <laughs> Milka, what? So that's where that comes from. It's terrible. It's terrible. You can look it up on YouTube. It's probably in the same playlist as um, that Geico commercial. Was it a Geico commercial? It was a Geico Wait. commercial. Of course it was it a was- Geico <laughs> So was the- Yeah, it was. Milka, what? <laughs> Not that Allstate and State Farm haven't done their <laughs> their uh, their share of funny commercials. Because was it Allstate who had the the guy who was the um, AM? 
Yeah. Before actually writing fan fiction about mayhem. And then, yeah. And the Allstate commercials are, the State Farm commercials are just, with J.K. Simmons are entertaining. But that guy, the Geico, Geico kind of next levels it. And we like the progressive commercials with flow. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why I think, that's why, that's why I think, I think insurance commercial fan fiction has become a thing is because they really up their game on entertaining commercials. (sighs) Ellie, you are, you were such a troublemaker. Uh, That innocent act does not work on anybody. Why are you asking Chris if she's into tentacles? Speaking of tentacles, that could be an alarming soul mark. Like, you know. I mean, you want to ask yourself, is 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 he into hinty porn or is it something else? Is it is Does he like calamari? Is he son of Cthulhu? What's going on? Is he a giant squid shifter? <laughs> <laughs> Is is <laughs> speaking of is a merman technically a shifter? Um, if they can shift away from being a merman, yes. If they can't, no. like to be a human being. I mean, if I think I well, I mean, it's kind of. Mm, I'm as I'm gonna go no because we actually when we talked about the shifter podcast, we talked about that. Well, but we, I think we said centaurs were shifters, but we said vampires weren't. I'm not sure I understand the criteria we were using. <laughs> I think, I don't know, I think you could make the case that if any part of you shifts into something else, that it's shifter. But you could also make the case that magical creatures are completely different from shifting into an animal, and that shifters are about shifting into an animal. But vampires can shift into a bat, if they it, can shift some, into a bat. Some, some vampires can. To me, that's kind of almost more like, but then there are vampires, a bat shifter. I mean, that seems a little. I mean, technically. It had to happen eventually. The mermaid could be the beta shift of a werefish. You see, I remember a time when Star was so sweet and nice and thoughtful. I don't. Look what the chat's done to her. (laughs) We're ruining them left, right, and center. (laughs) The nice one, yeah, she absolutely was. She used to be the nice one. Now there is no nice one. Where fish? We talked about. We talked about. um, No, you do not, Ellie. Can we just, 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 just picture it? This is up there with where hedgehogs and where weasels. (laughs) I can't believe I just said where weasel. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know why it's fucking me up so bad, but it is. <laughs> All I can think about is that scene in Harry Potter where, where Moody turns Draco into a ferret. <laughs> where ferret? I'm pretty sure ferrets are actually in the weasel family, right? Probably. Ferrets, minks, stoats, etc. Stoats are cute, though. Sables, yeah. Don't judge the stoats. Stoats are adorable. Still a weasel, though. I don't you care. Know, Martins, but they're cute, you know. But um, ferrets stink. Really, the honey badger is part of the same. Wow. Looking at members of the weasel family. 
Of course oh, you are, because that's oh, what we do on this podcast. Whole cats, badgers, martins, otters, wolverine. Otters. Um, historically, skunks have also been included, but genetic analysis suggests they belong in a separate family of their own. Otters, sea otters, freshwater badgers, ferrets, grison, grison, I don't know if that's honey badger, martins, fisher sable, mink, polecats, hair weasels, airmen, wolverine. Actually, stoats apparently are not in this. Huh. That doesn't make any sense, does it? I guess they're kind of like the skunk. No, it is a weasel. Short-tailed weasel. I don't know why it wasn't on that list of all the animals in the weasel family. Led astray by Wikipedia. Because oh, it's, its other name is the ermine. Ermine. Or whatever oh. You it. Oh, ermine. I always call it a stoat, though. I think stoats are cute. I lost the chat again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even... I, it's a whole MLM multi-level marketing. I feel like I'm missing something. I don't know how you got there. Oh, thank you. Sorry, I'm. I have not had a lot of sleep this week. <laughs> um, so an MM series with a town full of dog shifters, surprisingly wholesome, but much weirder than it sounds. Uh, it sounds pretty weird. You think Ron's animator's form is a jerboa? I think it's more like a naked mole rat. (laughs) Don't you think? I think it would be really amusing if it was a a rat snake. Just a song says I'm being mean to naked mole rats. Well, you know, there could be a case for it. It happens on occasion. Um, sometimes you guys tickle us both at the same time. So if we, I guess if we don't have any particular more soulmatey kind of conversation. Um, oh, let's say we don't. But what if you, what if you combine tropes? What if you had spirit animals and it was actually your spirit animals recognizing? Because your spirit animals, if they're, if you're going to do it like a demon kind of thing, like you're, it's an expression of your soul. What if it's the you're there what if they're the ones who do the recognizing? So if you have an external expression of your soul and you're meeting your soulmate, wouldn't the recognition come through them? That's really interesting because there's a Sherlock Holmes fic where Sherlock Holmes demon um has zero zero interest in personal space from John's demon. <laughs> And John and his demon both are like, dude. And Sherlock's demon is like, dude. (laughs) I want to be cuddled. I expect to be cuddled. And the more standoff as Sherlock is, the more demanding his demon becomes. I read it years ago. I wish I remember what it was because it was very cute. Mostly he just snuggled with John's demon, who was a big wolf or something. Yeah, I would never actually want to write like a demon AU because that's too many characters to keep track of. Because demons have personalities and they can talk and... I've read some I've, I've read some good ones. I wouldn't do it in certain fandoms. I'd only do it in, I'd only do it in certain fandoms though, because some fandoms it's just 
it just gets to be too complicated. I think it works. I actually think it works best in simpler fandoms, like contemporary fandoms, procedurals, that kind of thing. I think when you start throwing it into like the MCU or, um, that sounds very familiar. Star the uh, the Republic of Heaven by Blind Author. That sounds very, very, very familiar. The cute. They are cute. I believe that is a stoat. Tell by its little black tail. Little black tip on its tail. Um, and there is Xanthi wrote a really good one. Um, soul something. I can't remember what it's called. Actually, I'm blanking on it. Um, Demon AU. Um, soul deep. Soul deep. Thank you. Yeah. Hello. Um, that's a really good story. That's the first story I ever read by Xanthi, actually. Uh, but I think one of the things that helped in, in Demon Age is people who keep the introduction of the demons simple. Like, don't introduce you to demons you don't need to know. You know? Sort of like not giving characters who aren't pretty, aren't significant to the story dialogue is don't introduce the demons who aren't important. You know? It's just... This is when epithets are your friend. <laughs> Generally cut back on them, but sometimes when you've got a character that doesn't matter, just the waiter or the waitress is sufficient. But it'd be an interesting take on the whole soulmate thing to have to do a soulmate AU with something like demons or with spirit animals or something like that. Like what? They have matching spirit animals? You could do matching. That would be interesting. Or um, or just the animals recognize each other. It's like, and, and it, it takes that whole element of the human reticence out of it it's like you know somewhere your animal your your spirit animal or your demon runs away from you and it's like cuddling up with somebody some other animal and you're like oh hi um i don't think i don't think he's just being familiar star found the link republic of heaven Republic yeah, I think that's it. John's spirit animal or demon is quite impressive. It's like shockingly is, is what I remember. Yeah, when it comes to um, his dark materials they use, um, and the thing about his dark materials it, is it is a potential world building like the Sentinel where you could potentially put anything else, but it has a level of complication to it that the Sentinel doesn't, I don't think, uh, because of the doubling of the characters that um i've read a few that are just really really good but more that just felt overwhelming like oh my god what the hell what the hell what, what? I mean, when you have a cast of 10 you actually have a cast of 20 when you're writing in his dark materials oh gnome says there was one in the witcher that you got your soulmate's demon i like that i like that a lot huh I mean, it's an interesting concept. It's like you're you're given the care of your soulmate's soul. Chris is demanding a link. You don't got her attention. Chris, <laughs> Chris has been all up in The Witcher lately, too. Yeah. Well, you know, who can blame her? I mean, it's pretty hard to... I see the pictures. I haven't watched it on Netflix yet, but I'm really tempted. Um, okay. The, the non-linear aspects of it will drive you fucking bonkers. So just... Oh, that's right. That's why I haven't watched it. I, would, I remember that now. I would wait. They say, supposedly they're going to take the non-linear aspect out for season two. I would wait till season two is available to, to, to watch season one so that you can just, you know, 
take some Advil and then move right on to season two. And then the one guy wasn't aged properly in the in the progression either. Right. Well, if you and if you complain about the fact that it's nonlinear, people talk about, oh, well, there's cues about the aging, about you know people's aging. And I'm like, oh. the, except for that one guy. Except for that one guy, and also the cues aren't aren't as good as they think they are. But what I would say is that it's it's a mistake, right? Because he's supposed to age. I think they should lean into it. Talking about Jaskier, right? Jaskier. Yeah. He they should age. definitely lean into it and not correct it in season two. It could be like he accidentally drank a potion once. They, for, they forgot to. They forgot to age him. Uh, you know. Oops. <laughs> and, and it could come out and say, "Hey, uh, you're human, right? Because you're not getting older." Yeah, about that. There was a. There was a potion. In the bed. And I lost it, and I had to drink the potion. And things have been a little bit different since. But no, like in canon, he's supposed to age, right? Uh, yes, he absolutely should have aged. I thought so because it was a big thing. Like when people noticed it, it was like. <laughs> but I do hope they lean into it. Is, is what I'm saying. Um, that they give him something like just some crazy shit that he did. That to. And it's like, okay, we don't discuss Mando's bare wrist, Dark. This isn't that kind of show. We have to preserve his modesty. <laughs> I did have a thought about Mandalorians and why they wear helmets. What if Mandalorians are soul marks appear on their face? <laughs> and that that would be enough, and, wouldn't and it? That's very private. And since it's a creed, there's something about the creed that is deeply, profoundly in touch with the force, I would imagine, that it causes their soul marks to manifest on their face when they're adults or something. Which means, I mean, what if their soulmate isn't a Mandalorian? Maybe that's not the way the force works. Maybe the force favors, <laughs> maybe that, maybe the force favors the Mandalorians. Those are like her favorite children. Which would explain why the Jedi kept going to gore with them. <laughs> Force likes you better than us. We aren't going to have this. Mandalorians aren't clones, Ellie. Let's end the podcast and then we can keep talking about that. <laughs> um, unless there was anybody hiding any more questions. Anybody have any more questions? Going once, dots. going twice. Processes. There are no dots. Oh, Chris is. Oh, now they are. Now they have thoughts and questions and dots. There are dots. Okay. 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 Well, I want to thank everybody for hanging out with us tonight and doing the podcast. Really appreciate your time and your attention. I hope it was entertaining and that you learned something and it made you think of something and maybe it even inspired you. And if it did, I'd like to know because I'm keeping receipts. So say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone. <laughs> you go say good night. I say good night, everyone. You get one receipt. <laughs> 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 <laughs>